Live from Chicago, it's Saturday morning. It's the Murph and Fred Show. Starring Mike Murphy, Fred Hubner, and featuring Felix Reyes. Now here's your host, Murph and Fred. And featuring... Crosstown Classic. Is that what they're still calling it, Fred? I don't know. That's the easiest way to do it. The Crosstown <laughs> Classic. Cubs and Sox at the great. Guaranteed rate field. The great rate. Yeah. And uh, what? Night, that's a national game on uh, good old uh, Fox TV nationally. Uh, yeah, Len Casper and A.J. Persinski on oh, the call. I didn't know that. Yep. Cool. Yep, Len Casper and AJ. Yeah. Okay. So it'll be nice. I'm and, sure they'll show the uh, yeah. Michael Barrett about two or three times. <laughs> Were you sitting in on the pre-production Fox meeting? Or no, you just, I, just, uh, I just have an idea about yeah. how TV works. And yeah, I'm pretty sure you If something ever happened that's controversial, you want to show it. You didn't have to sit in on that. Hope you're having a uh, beautiful Saturday morning. Glad you're with us. I'm Mike Murphy. Uh, the old Cub fan here from Lions Township High School at Grange. Fred Hubner, the White Sox fan from good old Martin East in Cicero. Busy day. Got uh, a lot of Cubs and Sox guests coming up, highlighted by our guy Jesse Rogers. Jesse's with us at 10 o'clock as he loves to join us around then. Following uh, Jesse uh, from The Athletic. Sox guy James Fagan will uh, uh, join us. Mark Gonzalez, Gonzo Tribune, uh, Cub guy. So, yeah, I'll give you guys a call around probably 11 o'clock. And Felix working on uh, some other White Sox and uh, Cubs things for you. We'll touch a little bit on the NBA uh, blockbuster. It, uh, there were two earthquakes, I guess, shaking L.A. area. Yeah, two or three, actually, yeah. Last so. night, one of them being the Clippers, or two of them, I guess, being the Clippers. We'll certainly cover that. But let's get down to what's happening, and that is baseball in Chicago. Maybe Frank Sinatra will stop by later, Felix, and sing that. It's my kind of town. This is where the action is. The uh, Crosstown Classic, Fred will scratch a little bit of the old history book, remind everybody how it used to be called the Boys Benefit Game. Right. It's been around <laughs> forever in different incarnations. Yes, we'll, it has. We'll get to that. But... Uh, let's go to the uh, Murph and Fred Fan Focus Group Twitter poll. Uh, vote now at ESPN 1000. First is, oh, I like this one, Fred. The two-game uh, Cubs-Sox series. It's going to be uh, this weekend more important to A, the Cubs, or B, the White Sox. Or I threw in C. Both, because I was benevolent. Okay. Well, you know, let's give some people a break that are going to sit on the old picket fence. Are those the same people that say they're fans of both? Not many people say that, do they? Really? Not usually. Out of towners, maybe. Right. And if you come okay. from out of town, that's right? If fine, you, right? If you come from out of town and you move to the Chicago area mm-hmm. and you're a fan of both teams, yeah. you're that's allowed. Yeah, but I but agree. in my opinion, yeah. I'm sorry. When you're growing up in this town or in the suburbs, you got you had to pick a team. You had to pick one, pick one or the other, and go with them. So, yeah, and we did. You picked one. I picked one. 
So people relocate here from New York. I don't think they even care for either, about either team. No, they're, they're s- still they're still pulling for the Mets or Yankees. So you're talking about uh, you know, and I agree, people moving here from the, the hinterlands or yep. somewhere where you're hundreds and hundreds of miles between major league cities. So none of them really got you excited. Uh, so you just maybe love the game. Yeah. Or you move here and you don't know anything about baseball. You live near. No, you don't care. I'm going to go to Wrigley right. Field because I live here now. Right. Okay. Or Visor Sox Park. <laughs> it's usually if you lived here all your life, it's pretty much what your father and uh, rooted for. Wouldn't that's exactly we it. Yeah. Pretty much ascertained that over the many years. Usually, uh-huh. that's usually how it happens, and unless you're. You know, unless you want to rebel against your pops. Oh, yeah. And then you uh, go the other way. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Well, I, all you people are White Sox fans. I'm going for the Cubs or vice versa. So. I'll show you, Pop. Uh, yeah. All my brothers and sisters, my dad, we all grew up Sox fans. Yeah. And, there you, uh, go. you know, that's just the way it is. Right. That's just the way it is. Well, I grew I was in Cicero. But uh, dad, uh, you know, was a Chicago kid back in the Depression. He grew up near the uh, well, the old Chicago Stadium, sure, which is near Madison Street. So you're straddling north yep. and south right there. And he was a Cub fan. He used to, uh, he says, I used to take the streetcar uh-huh. to Wrigley Field. Probably a penny, which he didn't have. Penny was a lot of money back then. Don't laugh. One of these days, I hope nobody has pennies. I hope they get rid of them. Make everything uh, a nickel or more. Everything should be nickels. Well, then everything would cost four cents more because they'd round it up. That's fine. That's fine. (laughs) Absolutely fine. Just get rid of the damn pennies. Twitter poll question number two. Vote right now at ESPN 1000. Oh, you can always vote live on the radio. 332-3776. How many games would you like to see the Cubs and Sox play each other each year? Now... Before, this is a tough question. Before I give the options, I heard... Uh, we don't have enough options to put them all. Well, we only have four. All, right? We have four yeah. slots, right? Is that what you would call them for sure. our Twitter poll? I heard people this week, uh, you know, and uh, just for the record, so this year there are four yes. games. Yes, and, and there's logic behind this, which we can get in. Maybe it's not logical. No, but as, a, as illogical a, as possible. There's a structure right. that the league has. So, okay. And, uh, I, you know, I'd rather, like, uh, the other, a couple of years ago, it was six. And then, uh, or some, well, here's the uh, options. Vote right now. How many games would you uh, like to, uh, to see played between the Cubs and the Sox? Not just this year, but every year. Uh, 19, 6, 4, or 0. Now, Fred. Okay, we, you put them all in. We got the 19. Yep. Because that's what you, every team in baseball plays their in a division rivals right. 19 times. So the Sox play the Indians, the Tigers, the Twins, and the Royals 19 times. Three series here, three series there. Cubs, likewise. Cardinals, Brewers, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, 19 games. So would you like to see the Cubs and Sox do that? Those, by the way, would be called intra-division. Yeah. Intra-division. I like that word. Or would you like to see six? Now, why six? Well, that would be a three-game series and a three-game series, which occurs every third year when the National League Central plays the American League Central. Yeah. 
which is every third year because, like this year, the Centrals are playing the West. And then the Centrals can play the East. And then every third year on the rotation, the Centrals play the Centrals. So that's three and three normally, or a six, I believe. And uh, six. Four is what's going on now, where these are called those... uh, Rivalry games, I think, yeah, is the generic. I guess that's what they call it. You know, so the the Mets play the Yankees uh, every year, and uh, if it's not the every third year six games, it's the uh, two and two four. Uh, the Dodgers play the Angels uh, uh, all the time, and that would usually be the two and two. If I haven't confused you yet, that's fine because uh, choice uh, D number four would be zero. I don't want to see him play any games. It's watered down. I don't like it. Uh, you know, I'm all yeah. I, I all got right. mine. All so. right, good, good. Yeah. We'll let Felix vote. And uh, our third of the Twitter poll uh, on board right now. Will the Cubs and Sox? Yes or no? Will the Cubs and Sox meet in a World Series within the next five years? All right. Five years. I could have said ten. Right. I could have said. You could have said a hundred. Two. But that wouldn't be much fun to just say ever. Yeah. Baseball going to be around for five hundred years. Well, the odds are eventually that would happen, right? I said the odds are right. So no, the odds couple. They were on before us. Yes, they were three, three, two, three, seven. They follow that the sports trader card guy. Yeah. Yeah. Sports collectible. Yeah. Well, I like him, Tom. Tom Morgan. Yeah, big car guy. Yep. You have to adjust the chair every time. When, you when come I in. get in, my my mouth is about two feet above the microphone, which many people might think would be a better way for me to do it, where you couldn't hear anything. Jesse was on fire this week. Rick Sutcliffe was it because of fireworks. No, did no, he get no, too ooh, close? No, he'll be with us at ten. He'll be on okay. fire again. Okay. And Rick Sutcliffe the, uh, yesterday, talking, the big redhead. He had. You want to Dylan Cease, right? Yep. And Fred, you and I were on a Thursday. Fun to be here on the 4th of July, noon to the 3. If you were joining us, we appreciate it if you joined us. But Dylan Cease had pitched Wednesday. Yes. In that day-night game one thing, right? So we broke down a lot about Dylan Cease. And he was pretty good. Oh. Had I, a rough first inning. We calmed down and uh, only gave up a homer in yeah. the last uh, four innings. Went five innings, struck out six. Got a win. He was throwing a yacker which uh, I broke down on Thursday and miss a little, miss a lot. So Dylan Cease, I believe most people uh, know that he and uh, Eloy were originally with the Cubs, came over in the, uh, I will say, the day of infamy, the infamous Jose Quintana trade. So Sut goes uh, to spring training every year, you know, invited by uh, Jed Hoyer and and Theo and and, uh, Mr. Ricketts and, Puts on a uniform, you know, works a little bit with the young pitchers or watches over, maybe gives some advice, <clears throat> excuse me, opinions. So this was Rick Sutcliffe, the Red Baron. He says, I still have a Budweiser. He said, Did you hear him? He goes, Whenever I'm in town, I, you know, I end up over at the Chicago Cut, our, our guys there. But he says, I always have a, a Budweiser over at Harry Carey's in honor of. Of Harry, because he uh, nicknamed me the uh, Red Baron. Right. And then he goes, I don't really like Budweiser, but I do it for Harry. There you go. (laughs) He's a better man. So then he gave uh, the most interesting scouting report 
about when he saw Dylan Cease back, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, spring training in Mesa. Gotcha. Got that wrecked up, wrecked up there for for us, Felix. So here's Sut uh, yesterday, and uh, that'd be with on the uh, uh, Waddle and uh, Sylvie show. I told you that I've seen it very few times in my career. Um, I first saw it with a kid named Greg Maddox when I was with Chicago. I saw it in Baltimore with a guy named Mike Messina. I saw it in San Diego with a kid named Jake Peavy. And I told you for the fourth time, I saw it with Kyle Hendricks. Um, whatever Marco it is, they collectively had it. And I mean, they had a lot of it. And what I meant by that was just that look in their eye, the tougher the situation got, the more competitive and, and, and the better they got. And in the little bit that I got to see Dylan Cease in spring training, I tagged him with that. He was the fifth guy up to this point, and only five that I have seen at that age coming through the minor league system where they had hit. Did you tell that good. to Theo, and did you tell that to Jed Hoyer? Yeah, that's, that's pretty, pretty good. good. What were those names? Maddox, Musina, Peavy. Peavy, and Hendricks. And Hendricks. Yep. He had only seen four with it. Uh-huh. Unbelievable. Very good. Yeah, they said that uh, oh. one of the th- things with Dylan sees he's big into yoga. He's going to be very reserved. You're not going to see him get rattled on the mound. And he had every opportunity to get rattled on Wednesday when, after the first two outs, he walked a couple guys, hit a guy, gave up a single, a couple of runs scored, hit, walked another guy, but then got out of the inning. He could have got rattled there, and he didn't, and uh, pitched well for the next four innings. So, um, good good things for the White Sox. It was coming. terrific. Yep. You got the first two guys easy, then a walk, walk, hit by pitch, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Loaded it up with two out. He threw a uh, curveball, first pitch. And then I was a little surprised. We mentioned that Thursday, Fred. I was a little surprised that all-star catcher behind the plate, and he's been just, just terrific. McCann this year called the second same pitch in a row, same speed. A batter, you know, sat on it and, you know, drilled a clean base hit, I think, up the middle. And two runs scored, but... He was sitting at 96, 97 miles per hour. Four seamer coming up high. Yep. He threw. A, he tickled a hundred once on on the gun. Ninety nine point six. But the curveball, yep. the curveball, and uh, there's a lot of cliches. He had the big overhand curveball. If that means anything, you don't see it much anymore. A lot of fans maybe don't even know what I'm talking about. Is, that, is it the Uncle Charlie, too? Well, yeah. yeah. But it's a big overhand curveball. Yep. I remember Dave Otto, our buddy, used to call it nose to toes. Uh-huh. People still call it uh, uh, noon to uh, six to noon. What do they call it? 12, 12, 12 to six. <laughs> uh, noon to six. Yep. <laughs> 12 to six. No, you know what I call it? It's a yacker. And you don't hear that word much anymore. No. The yacker. Well, only if you're talking about someone that won't shut up. Hey, he's the yacker over there. Maybe I should go two feet above the microphone again, like in Tom's <laughs> chair. The yacker. Felix. Felix Reyes. You're a baseball guy. A good baseball guy. Never heard the expression, a yacker? I've heard the expression, okay. yes. Big old overhand curveball. I can't imagine he's ever used it, though. I have never used it. <laughs> you know what? You can use it, and please don't uh, attribute it to me. Okay. But no, the yacker. And the, it is what it sounds like. And, and in fact, it is, you can hear it. Here's what it means. When someone, okay, now, Felix, Fred, we have 
the video and they break it down. They go, that was a 2,132 revolutions, uh, you know, per minute coming in. They do the boom, boom, yeah, right? Yeah, you got spin rates. Spin and, rate, yeah. that's the word. You name it, you, you, they got it all. Now, the more spin they rate. They can't call balls and strikes yet, but they can give you the spin rate and the launching. Well, that's because they can't do the up and down. Yeah. They can do the left and right. Yeah, but they can tell you the ball spins 2,100 times. They can't do the up and down. Yeah. Felix, did you know when you're watching TV at home or wherever you are or whatever your device is and the uh, K box, the K zone is plastered on there, right? And it's so let's say you got like Aaron Judge or or Chris Bryant. So they're six foot four, right? And uh, on your. Yeah, but he squats down. He's only five eight. (laughs) On your rectangle, the ball is just touching. Let's reverse. Let's say it's Altuve batting, a little, little guy, right? And the K-Zone shows that ball was, you know, over the plate and just tickled like the top of the uh, uh, top line. And the ump says, strike, and the announcer goes, oh, yeah, just touch it. Well, no, see, did you realize that that rectangle is the same one for every hitter on TV? They don't have a big one for Aaron Judge. They don't have a little rectangle for Altuve. Did you know that? It's always yeah, the same they, one. They never adjust it to the, the height of the player. They Correct. can't. Yep. They only have one. So would it stand to reason that it's probably the average size up and down, right? That's the one they selected for the rectangle, right? We can assume that. So when a 5'10 guy's batting and it's on the top edge of that uh, K zone, it's probably three, four inches above his strike zone. And then the goofy announcement, well, yeah, look, it hit right there in the top line. It was a strike. (sighs) No, it wasn't. But the yacker means it's got top-end spin rate, which, again, in the old days, they didn't know it's spin rate. They couldn't compute it. So this guy throws a yacker, which means it's coming in with such velo and spin that the batter's ears, you hear it. (laughs) It yaks from the seams. (laughs) This, Not anymore. Not with the seams. We, well, the so seams small. are a little down right. more. Yeah. You got to find out about it. If, yeah. that, if it's still yaks. And the ball is so, the ball is so smooth. The leather's <laughs> like brushed, brushed leather. And the ball just flies out of the park. Felix, next time you talk to one of the guys, does it still yak? I go, get out of here. I don't get down. Again, don't, don't attribute me. How about Jesse was on fire? Jesse uh, says, you know what? I, he was on the Caparoose show yesterday, right? Cap and Friends, 9 till what, noon? Cap and Company. I like that. Yeah. I put Cap and Friends in the suggestion box. They didn't They didn't go with that? Nope. Nope. I stole that from Garfield Goose and Friends. Who? Jesse says, I've got a better lineup. Batting order. Well, you want to know my lineup? You know what I would do? If he wants to stick with righty, lefty, righty, lefty, you know what I would do for a while? Mm-hmm. I would bat Wilson Contreras one, mm-hmm. Anthony Rizzo two, mm-hmm. Chris Bryant three, yep. Kyle Schwarber four, mm-hmm. Javi Baez five, Hayward six, and you know, Phil and Elmore or whatever, seven, eight. That's how I'd go the top six. I would actually try that. Get my two best on base guys at the top of the lineup. What a novel concept. And then we'll really see what Bryant can do with runners in scoring position. Schwarber gets protection from Baez as and Bryant. 
And then Baez, remember, five is not bad for Baez because he, he cleans up because he can hit with runners on. He cleans up everybody that's on in front of him. So that's kind of what I would try. I would go back to the traditional thing of putting my top on base guys at the top. Now, Wilson Contreras at leadoff sounds weird, but again, he's, he's on base is like 390. I would, I'd, I'd run that out. Fred, I'm not uh, here to cause no trouble. I'm just here to do the Super yeah. Bowl shuffle. Uh-huh. Jesse will be with us. At I mean, Jesse did the try-hard guy thing. Well, it's great. That's fine with, you know, he's trying hard. Something's got to be, the, the thing is, there's going to be some major uh, moves on this roster between now and July 31st. Well, they're going to try. There's got to be. If there isn't, then you know what? Mr. Epstein has uh, failed. Well, he- it's a big, it's a big problem, and we've discussed it mm-hmm. dozens of times. Oh, yeah. And that is that you don't have anything to offer to other teams, so you're going to have to move. You're probably going to have to move one of your regular guys, your regular starting lineup mm-hmm. guys, in order if you want to bring over somebody else that's going to help you, you know, get to where you need to be. So you're going to get something for Elmora and for Russell. You're saying, huh? Well, you're going to try, <laughs> but you're probably not. No, probably yeah. not. Again, after the 17 seasons when they should have moved Schwarber, they didn't. They like him too much. He's their guy. So we'll see if they've uh, given up yet or not. He's still he's hitting 239, 320, and 523 from the leadoff spot. His uh, his his average. What's his, was, I'm sorry. What is on base is 320. Okay. Yeah, from the leadoff spot. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, his overall runners in scoring position. He's hitting a blistering 185. So moving him down to a place of power. I don't know if that's going to help you anywhere. Well, and it doesn't matter leading off because there's no one on base for you anyway. Yeah, but this the stat is just with runners in scoring no, position. So anytime he's got him, he doesn't right. he doesn't do anything. And the good news on that is that there's not many guys on anyway to not yeah. knock in with the low right number. Yeah, after a day off, uh, Chris Bryant had a nice day the other day. So you know yeah. may, maybe he needed that day off. A lot of people had said, mm-hmm. "Why is Contreras in right field? Why don't you make a move late?" Mm-hmm. Well, you had Bryant and uh, Hayward needed days off because of injuries, not feeling well, and uh, it, it worked on the next day when they came back. How about Bryant had a good one? People uh, saying uh, yesterday, "Oh, you know, uh, Joe Madden, uh, you know, getting in a, a little set two with uh, Glenn Hurdle and uh, Joe." Uh, good line by. Uh, uh, man, he goes, Joe West would have made a great offensive tackle, yep. <laughs> which is a good line, yeah. which is a good line. But people yesterday, you know, then I think it was choreographed that, that Joe Madden got mad. All right, so, so what? All right, so? No, I, I think what they were saying is they think it was choreographed and fine. that was the right thing to do. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. I thought they were de- nah. uh, diminishing it. No, I think it was the other way around. Uh, I, think really? that, I think they meant that it was choreographed and uh, Joe needed to do something. He's starting to hear... He's starting to hear people knocking on his door. All right. So you want to get, got, want that to stop. Back in a flash, busy day. Murph and Fred, ESPN 1000. Mark Gonzalez, Tribune. Interesting angle. Pointing out how the Cubs signed top catching uh, prospects two of them in the international signing we'll talk about that Sully good job Paul uh, with some numbers on Eloy since June 9th Fred we'll get to that 
uh, in a few minutes also. Uh, Jesse joins us in a little while. Uh, we're also going to have our, our buddy James Fegan from The Athletic talking socks. Gonzo will be checking in. Also, uh, Wilson Contreras with some interesting comments about Joe Madden getting fired up the other day. But uh, we want to get a little uh, touch base on a national story. The L.A. Clippers, Fred. They were busy last night. Oh, Kawhi Leonard, uh, Paul George in the trade, the free agent signing. You know, we have uh, comes up. We never usually go to it. In a few seconds here, we're going to open up a feed from uh, ESPN, the Sports Center. Let's hear what the national story they lead off. Here we go. I know what they're going to lead off with. Let's see what the angle is. ESPN Radio uh-huh. Sports Center. Yes. I'm Christine Lisi. The Clippers shaking up the landscape mm-hmm. in the NBA. will sign Kawhi Leonard to a four-year, $141 million deal and acquire Paul George from the Thunder, reports ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski. L.A. sent four future unprotected first-round picks, a protected first-round pick, two pick swaps, mm-hmm. Jake Douglas Alexander and Danilo Gallinari to OKC. George and Leonard wanted to play together. George recently made a trade request, and Leonard essentially told the Clippers mm. he'd sign there if they got George. That trade proves that players control their own destiny in the NBA, according to ESPN NBA front office insider Bobby Marks. I think players run the league. <laughs> I mean, in reality, in order, there's never going to be anything to stop it, right? The player-to-player tampering that goes on, I mean, there's, there's, hey, there's nothing unless the league's going to want to step in, and I don't see that happen, but, you know, basically Paul, Kawhi Leonard recruited Paul George or vice versa. Bobby Marks on SportsCenter all night. Woj also reports Thunder GM Sam Presti pursued a package of Russell Westbrook with George Toronto for forward Pascal Siakam as the centerpiece of a deal. Raptors, though, didn't have the depth of picks needed to get a deal done, nor certainty that getting George would keep Leonard in Toronto. But had Presti been able to strike a deal for George with the Raptors and Leonard was willing to stay, George was believed to be willing to go to Toronto as well. New Orleans star Zion Williamson's knee injury wow. sustained in his summer league debut. Yeah, that was a mouthful, I'll tell you. <laughs> Well, I just, it, I just like draft swaps. Well, it boils down like a to a new show. It, and there's nothing new. The players determine who goes where pretty much. Yes, they do. And which which people either like yeah. or dislike about the NBA. And uh, the implication was that the league could step in, but they probably won't. Probably Isn't that won't. exactly was that Bob Mark said that? Bobby, Bobby Mark. Mark. Yep. The league, you know. Could step in, but probably won't. Yeah, they uh, probably won't because a lot of people think uh, they like the way it's going. So basically, you got to you'll sell you'll probably probably have three to four teams in the East and in the West that have a chance to win. So the uh, the push. So a Leonard uh, uh, pursued George uh, uh, to push for him to get a trade away from OKC, and then he would sign if. It worked. Yeah. And he actually <laughs> he actually is signed for less money over um, uh-huh. you know, the last couple of years, which it's pretty amazing what he's done. Um, you look at it, at the end of the day, Kawhi Leonard went from $221 million with San Antonio to 190 with uh, Toronto and now 141 with the Clippers. So he has been dictating where he's going, not based on money. So mm-hmm. when people say it's all about money, uh, not necessarily for all the players in the NBA. Felix, you're and a big NBA guy. What do you got? Yeah, and what's interesting is that when he was with San Antonio, he originally asked the trade. He wanted to go to L.A. So if he was either the Lakers or maybe the Clippers, which the Clippers became more of a conversation since their team has gotten much better. We saw a team facing the Warriors in the first round with really no star player. 
and now they just got that. Yeah. So they pretty much have the same roster, and now they have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, who are arguably the best two two-way players in the league right now, both on offense and defense. Two so. guys averaging, what, 25 points or more? Yeah, Paul yeah. George was just in the conversation. He was an MVP candidate, and he was a defensive player of the year candidate. So his, I mean, he's he's on his peak right now. The only thing, and, and this is going to go back to what Adam Silver talked about a while ago, about moving the start time of games on the West Coast. Hmm. Now you have Golden State, the L.A. Clippers, and the L.A. Lakers that all start at 10 o'clock Eastern time, 9 o'clock Chicago time. And 7 o'clock, their time. Now, they have talked about moving those games up for the betterment of TV ratings. Mm. Because TV ratings would help the league more than the attendance of those teams. But, just think about it. If they move the games to 6 o'clock, how are the people in L.A. going to get there? You can't. No, it's impossible. So, they got themselves in a trick bag here a little bit with three really good teams all on West Coast time. It takes an hour to drive one block in yeah. L.A. Yeah, so I'm, I'm interested hour. to see I'm interested to see what they're going to do in the next year or two. Hey, Felix Fred, now, the Lakers, they thought they were in on some of this, right? So Yeah, they thought they were going to get them so like they could have Anthony York, Davis. Right, they're like uh, the New York Knicks who got pants by uh, Brooklyn, right? The same yeah. type deal. Yeah, the only good thing about the Lakers is they did end up with Anthony Davis. The problem was that waiting for Kawhi Leonard meant they missed out on some free agents they could have had and build a better roster for the team they currently have constructed. So, right now they're just, I mean, last night you saw the moment these trades happened, the Lakers signed off two guys already. You know, Danny Green, they brought back JaVel McGee. So, they're just picking out of whatever is available out there and then trying to make a team out of what they have. So, the Clippers are the de facto champs uh, of the West. Now, the East, is that still up for grabs, or did Brooklyn uh, solidify? How's the East look? At least, will there be parity and competition and fun games in the East? Yeah, I think the 76ers definitely still look like a good team, even with Jimmy Butler out. And then you have the Indiana Pacers, who made some improvements and some strides. Milwaukee Bucks still look like a good team. I mean, they were there at the end of it all. And the only thing they're missing is a big piece in that, which is Malcolm Brogdon. But I think that they added a few extra pieces to stay in contention. So the Nets are going to still be in the mix. I know they're not going to get Durant until the next, I mean, the following year. They probably aren't championship contenders next year, but they're definitely in the playoff hunt for sure. Well, and you know that Philadelphia's got to be happy they don't have to worry about Toronto. Yeah. So yeah, Toronto isn't as strong anymore. They'll they'll probably sneak in the playoffs for sure. Still a good roster, but Philly to me on paper probably looks like the favorite right now coming out of the East. Listen, Kobe White, Daniel Gafford, Bulls are going to the oh, play- yeah, you playoffs. Guys, yes, you're burying the lead. The Bulls win last night in Vegas, ninety six to seventy six. How you're leaving our bullies out of the topic here, huh? They'll go to the they'll they'll go to the playoffs. I know I heard uh, earlier on the odds couple uh, they were talking about the Bulls maybe playing five hundred. I think they'll be a little above five hundred. I really do. And that's again, it's all a guess, like everybody else is guessing. So it's just the uh, summer league, which of course uh, even John Paxson said it doesn't mean much. But nevertheless, the numbers are uh, Kobe White with his uh, seventeen points last night, and uh, Daniel Gafford. Uh, you mentioned a little twenty one and ten, and a four block shot. Nice little alley-oop early in the game where yep. White White finds him going down the lane. Now, in years past, it was <laughs> Bulls guards throwing that little alley-oop down the lane to uh, Cristiano Felicio. I'd much rather have a Daniel Gafford going down the lane. And um, the Bulls, though, they do need to improve their three-point shooting. That oh. is the key to uh, the NBA. What and yesterday, last night? They were a blistering one for 20. 
<laughs> yeah. So uh, again, it's 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 just great to watch. Uh, Sunday is their next game. They play Cleveland, I think it is on uh, Sunday. So uh, yeah, it, you know, it was so exciting yeah. at, in Las Vegas that they had to slow it down because everything was rocking. Because mm-hmm. actually, the, the earthquake yeah. in California, they felt the effects of it. The speakers and the Thomas and Mack Center were swinging on both sides yeah. of the scoreboard. No thanks. And they said, we're going to wait till the speakers stop swinging. Yeah. Then they said, this is stupid. Clear yeah. the building. We, yeah. We're done for the evening. Yeah. Yeah, so. They send up Pete with a ladder to send him up there to see if he can fix it. Yeah, that's, it was really crazy. Unbelievable stuff. A blistering of uh, 5% they shot, Yeah. Right? One out of 20? One for 20. <laughs> they did shoot 58% from twos, right. which is good. I mean, you know. But you saw a lot of guys that I had never heard of, um, Adam Makoka. Oh, they just signed him. Undrafted French guard. Yeah. Uh, Ten points, eight rebounds, three assists. Yeah. So who knows? Maybe they're finding a guy here and there. And, you know, when they bring in uh, Sadoransky and they bring in some other guys. What league, uh, it'll be uh, an interesting team, I think, this year. Fun was, to watch. Uh, what league was he from? You were just... French. Okay. Undrafted well, French guard. Well, you know, that, that that's okay. That Cubs got uh, uh, Robel Garcia from the Italian League. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, that's <laughs> that, the Italian League. I don't know if people saw it, but it was a, it's a wonderful league. You play two games, uh, and then you uh, get three days off. Yeah. And then in the other two days, you work on your game. It's like yeah. just practice. Right. So it's a wonderful way to work on your game, and that's exactly what Garcia did. And then he goes... He gets a homer, a triple, and a single mm-hmm. in his uh, first start with the Cubs. So right. uh, I guess they found themselves a second baseman. So now they can move an Addison Russell or whoever else if, in fact, anybody else wants him. In fact, back on June 22nd, when we come back, we had a visit, and this was unbelievable. At the time, we didn't know what the hell was going on. Why is Dean Ellis, our triple-A Iowa Cubs guy, we watched the scouting report because Craig Kimbrell, Right. They just arrived. And at the very end, rubbed against the clock, and we go, okay, we'll take oh, one more thing. And we go, oh, what's this all about? We'll replay that when we return. And uh, Felix, Fred, I still don't understand why the NBA allows a pick to be a first round pick to be involved in the trade that we just talked all about from 2026. Yeah. There's got to be a cutoff somewhere. What? We'll give you a trade for 2099. Oh, a pick from 2099. It's crazy. 2026, there's got to be a rule somewhere where there's a cutoff, or maybe there isn't. Murph and Fred Jesse in a few minutes. Sox talk after that. Mark Gonzalez. Lots of crosstown classic. Cubs and Sox back in a flash. ESPN 1000. Hey, it's a busy Saturday, and hope you're having a great Saturday. I'm not sure how I feel about the Sox and Cubs at 6 o'clock. I understand it's a network game, but I can't believe I'm going to wait that long. (laughs) I'd like to see that as soon as we're off the air at noon. Crosstown Classic. It's been around forever. It's a repeat of the the second game at Wrigley. It's Lester against Giolito. In uh, different... uh, moments, different styles, different formats. It's yes, been around have. almost since 1900. Yep. Uh, mostly just to make money in the uh, early days. Oh, uh, for charity, though. No, no, no. Not in the beginning. Way back. No, are you kidding? Yeah. Old man Comiskey and old man Wrigley. Yeah, let's let's have a thing and just give all the money to charity. That wasn't the way it worked back then, but hopefully it does now, you know. Great pictures in the uh, Sun-Times, the expanded Sun-Times sports section mm-hmm. today. 
as they have the picture from uh, June 25th, 1964. Yes. And I've explained this to people, but now it's actually in a picture. And now it's a very small black and white picture. Terrific. But uh, an overflow crowd of 52,000 crammed Comiskey Park to see mm-hmm. the Sox and Cubs, the annual boys' benefit game, to accommodate the crowd. And I've told people this, and they've laughed at me. No. Uh, to accommodate the crowd, fans were allowed to stand behind ropes on the outfield grass in center field. The last known time fans were permitted to watch a game from the playing field, they were actually on the warning track watching the game and just roped off. And um, it was amazing. I remember listening to that game. I wasn't at it, I and I don't think they had. To, I don't think they put those games on TV. Yeah. And um, so that they wanted to make sure everybody came out to watch them. But I wa- I did hear it on the radio, and I said that's got to be amazing because I was only let's see, I was only seven years old. Um, but yeah. It, uh, very, very interesting. Nice little piece in the Sun-Times. All about the Cubs-Sox series. Think, the Sox, the two-game series lead. I think there were like 50-plus thousand. Yeah. And that one, there was 52. Okay, yeah. yeah. You know, I think I was there. Okay. I, I think I was there. Uh, Uncle, uh, actually, Cousin George uh, had a ticket. Drove down from, uh, he picked me up in LaGrange Park. He lived in Brookfield. We get down there. I might have mentioned to you over the years, it was the first time I'd ever been to a night game. Okay. Because, you know, as a kid, you go to Wrigley, go to Wrigley Field, Field with your mom right. and dad, you know, and then hop on the old Burlington and take the uh, the red line, the Howard. But, oh, yeah, I'd love to go. So, uh, I don't know, I was in six, seven, eight, whatever. And we get there, and we're up in the last row of the old Comiskey Park upper deck. Down by the left field foul pole. So okay. You're, I mean, you you're are. You're far away. Yeah. Yeah. And you're almost in Armour Park. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly right. Right. Yeah. Now you're out in the parking lot. I like where they have the home plate out there. We yeah. did a little tailgating the family. Anyway. It's cool. Fred, I was I was scared. There were no Cub fans there. <laughs> it was all Sox fans. Yeah. And they it, can be unruly at times. Well, back in not, 1964. Well, it wasn't that. Because, did they have hats on? Well, no, that was the thing. No one wore hats back then. Okay. I mean, they wore men's hats. Right. But you didn't wear like Not a baseball cap. No, you no. look at old photo. Look at that photo. Yeah. No, no one wore a cup. People didn't have money to buy novelty souvenir caps, and they didn't even probably sell many of them. But it was night. You know, they had no lights up in the hanging down from the upper deck roof, right. like the top roof. So maybe one light bulb. You know what I mean? Yeah. Swinging, and it's dark, and we're up there, and it's all these. You know, everybody's and no one's cheering for it. I was afraid to like yell. When, like, Ernie hit a homer or whatever. Oh, my God. But it was unbelievable. Yeah. And like you say, 52,000 people. They packed them in. Oh, because the old ballpark probably held, like, 48 or so full. There's a standing room, like you said, on the field. Yeah. With the rope. Well, I don't know how they... They had 52 here. They say 52,000. Yeah. I know if you go back and look at some of the attendance numbers, Mm -hmm. there were double headers against the Yankees where they listed it at 55,000. Okay. I don't know how that could have been possible. Because I don't, maybe they sold standing room and they just had standing room everywhere. Because on bat days, they would sell that many, that many tickets. Oh, yeah. And, um, it was, and they would give the bats on the way in. They figured out which they would never do again. That was not a good (laughs) idea. They would never do again. But what they used to do is they used to pound the bats on the railings. Oh, they would pound the railings and it was so loud. Yeah. But the Yankees would still beat the White Sox, which was so frustrating. Or you could uh, just bang them down on the concrete below you if you went by a railing. And nowadays, there's like basically a promotion and a giveaway every game. 
Back then, yeah. there might have been six a year. Oh. You know, baseball giveaway, bat giveaway, bat, helmet giveaway. Bat day was huge. Yeah, bat day was I, massive. Because they were real bats. Yeah. They yeah. were like 30 inches you could use in Little League. Little, right. You use them in Little League and yeah. uh, or, you know, underneath your back seat just in case you had a little set to with someone on the road. And that was could, back in the day, of course, in 64. Yeah, because they hadn't made When them. you weren't wearing seatbelts and uh, the, the kids were just rolling around the back seat. Well, you needed the bath under the uh, seat because they didn't had not invented the club yet. Yes. <laughs> That's so, true. So uh, some great notes today. Cubs, Sox, Crosstown Classic. How about this one? This one, this is Sully, and I got some guns. Uh, Sully had a little note. Uh, Eloy. People are still insisting on Eloy, yeah, it's even Eloy. though we heard him say his own name recently right. with Chuck Garfine. Eloy's coming. Yeah, Eloy. Now, since I'm not real good with numbers, but I try. Since June nine, Eloy. That'd be about a month or so, give or take. Okay. Since June nine, Sully points out nine homers, twenty two RBIs. Yep. So uh, that's one month or six months multiplied by six to project pretty easy. Nine homers is 54 homers in the last month projected times six. 132 RBIs, 22 times six. Fred, that's not too bad. And I got to tell you, there are, there are two or three games. He'll go like two or three games in a row hitting ground balls to short. Mm-hmm. Uh, ground ball up the middle that'll be you know caught by the second baseman on a shift and things like that. But then he'll he hit a home run the other day. Uh, he'll go the other way, hit a you know ball to right center, and uh, slowly but surely he's learning how to hit in this in, you know in the big leagues. Couple of good sidebars here from uh, Mark Gonzalez. Gonzo's going to phone in maybe around eleven o'clock. He said, uh, "Fred, you mentioned this on Thursday. Uh, for all the criticism the Cubs have received uh, for dealing uh, Eloy and uh, cease to the White Sox for a Q." They should not, this is Gonzo, they should not shy away from considering versatile White Sox utility man, second base shortstop, left center right switch hitter, Laurie Garcia. Yeah, Garcia's been a savior for the White Sox right now because he's been playing shortstop while Mm -hmm. uh, Tim Anderson's out. But he can play a pretty good center field. And uh, he's also getting on base. He's hitting more than 300 right now, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, he is. Yeah, he's hitting 301 this morning. Yeah. And um, he's got some uh, a gap a pop. He's got a few homers. Yeah, and you know what? Plays five positions. Switch hitter. That's right up Joe Madden's alley. Yeah. And now he's on base. is only 335. But you know what? He's hitting right. 301. He's getting on base. He's making things happen. He's got a little bit of power. John Lester knows that as he homered off Lester um, yeah. in the first inning when they played at uh, Wrigley Field. So um, five homers, 24 yeah. RBIs. And, um, you wouldn't so, yeah. be starting him. I mean, the on base is the on base. He would be, you know, your uh, Descalso guy. They could play everywhere and bat from both sides. Jesse Rogers in a couple minutes. Oh, I got a report from Washington, D.C. Someone saw one of the top Cubs pro scouts. Okay. Pro means that they scout the big leagues, uh-huh. not the minors or college or high. At Washington Nationals game last night. Okay. Want to guess who the Nats were playing? You're trying to get Anthony Rendon? Who were they? Kansas uh... City Royals in her league. Oh. Whit Merrifield. Okay. Uh-huh. Well, we'll visit with Jesse Rogers. Jesse has his lineup batting order. Well, I got mine. We'll bounce that back with Jesse when we return. Uh, James F. Hagan talks socks at the bottom of the hour and uh, from the athletics. So uh, stick around. Murph and Fred, ESPN 1000.
It's all right with me. It's all right with you. It's Saturday. Yeah, not bad at all. Not bad at all. It's actually a nice day. I, I don't know if I've seen that uh, wet stuff fall from the sky for a little while, so that's a good thing. Humidity is going to drop and plummet uh, this afternoon. That'd be a good thing, too. Turn off those air conditioners. Oh, never do that. <laughs> One minute away from Jesse Rogers. I can ha- hang salami from my in, uh, the ceiling of my oh, house. It's man. always nice and nice and cool. You know, it's a treat because, uh, you know, I... The good salami sandwich well, is a nice treat. I get low-fat salami, uh-huh. you know, and then... Uh, by accident, we bought the regular salami. Oh, man, is that sweet. Oh, man. Before we get to Jesse live, Jesse with some angles. Rust never sleeps. Jesse never stops thinking. Well, you want to know my lineup? You know what I would do? If he wants to stick with righty, lefty, righty, lefty, you know what I would do for a while? Mm-hmm. I would bat Wilson Contreras, one. Mm-hmm. Anthony Rizzo, two. Mm-hmm. Chris Bryant, three. Yep. Kyle Schwarber, four. Mm-hmm. Javi Baez, five. Hayward, six. And, you know, Phil and Elmora, whatever, seven, eight. That's how I'd go the top six. I would actually try that. Get my two best on-base guys at the top of the lineup. What a novel concept. And then we'll really see what Brian can do with runners in scoring position. Schwarber gets protection from Baez as, and Bryant. And then Baez, remember, five is not bad for Baez. Because he, he cleans up, because he can hit with runners on, he cleans up everybody that's on in front of him. So that's kind of what I would try. I would go back to the traditional thing of putting my top on base guys at the top. Now, Wilson Contreras at leadoff sounds weird, but again, he's, he's on base is like 390. I would, I'd, I'd run that out. Town. Classic. Let's bring in the little guy. Hey, Jesse, Mervin, Fred, good morning. Good morning, boys. <laughs> hey, Big weekend of baseball. Hey, wow. hey, Jess, did you contact Joe Madden and tell him you need to, you need to meet in his hotel room again to go over the lineup? Because you've well, got it all, you got it nailed. Well, I think he's a he's an avid ESPN 1000 listener. I don't need to meet <laughs> with him. If he just heard that or hears us today, he'll, he'll get some ideas. I truly believe... Somehow, some way, I don't. I'm not going to take credit or anything like this, but I think somehow, some way, he got wind of what Chris Bryant said to me last weekend publicly for the first time. Chris, more than intimating, he doesn't love second, and four right. days later, he was batting third for the first time in years. So, I don't know. Joe's willing to take advice, I think. So let's let's see how this plays out. You know, God love, and and you're exactly right. And uh, you know, who knows how it filtered, but uh, the point is, it did filter and uh you know you were talking yesterday one more moment on on uh, bryant uh, in fact we wrapped this up if we were going to get to it maybe later but give us a short version you also mentioned how chris bryant said hey hey come here hey come here Just got something for you and that doesn't happen a lot and he was going to talk about well what about being more uh, open and available with the media, and you sort of uh, drove the ball down the field and said, well maybe this is uh, you know good and confidence or whatever. How'd you read all that? Yeah, I think he kind of went through some sort of reset over over this past um, road trip, talking publicly about his runners in scoring position struggle is something he hasn't talked about that often. Uh, being a more more available to the media, I told the story, like you said, he just kind of came up to some reporters, me included, and, and asked if we needed anything and then said, you know what, I'm going to be more available moving forward. And I think it's just going sort of back to who he was in a relaxed setting, not worried about the criticism, 
And it is taking Joe's message to heart. Hey, chill out. You're one of the best out there. Just relax. The hits will come. Just give it some time. Don't worry about the Twitter rabbit holes and that you go down and all that stuff. So he, I feel like he had some sort of reset. I think, I think there's a, a Zen thing for a Zen moment for him there where, where he decided, you know what? I'm going to be the guy I've always been. I'm not going to hide from the media. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to be that guy. And then Joe rewards him by batting him third, which is something he wants anyway. So we'll see. Let's see if it plays out or if this is just all talk. Who knows? Well, he just kept hitting the ball the other day, too, with that th- he did. three spot. Yeah, now here's the thing, though. Two outs in the first inning. He yeah. hits a solo home run. I mean, I, I, Schwarber and Baez, look, you're never going to complain about Baez getting more at-bats at the top, but that's not exactly laying the groundwork for 3-4-5 in terms of on base. It is a little unusual, and I expect Joe to stick with that because they scored 11 runs, but uh, let's face it, it's not, it's not the way to set up Bryant, Rizzo, and Contreras putting those two at the top. I, I think he's got to rethink that, and he probably won't until it struggles or whatever. So you raise a great point that's a, a larger. This goes all the way back to the book Moneyball, and uh, Billy Bean, and then young pup named uh, you know Theo Epstein, and, and it, everything makes sense, and it, it can often work. On base, you want your guys on base. They don't have everybody on base, so they had to, by default, and here's where things got kinky, they had to put Schwarber number one. And then you see all the solo homers. Fred pointed out he doesn't have good numbers with men on base, but it's a small segment I mentioned to Fred because no one's ever on base when you're batting number one, not just to start the game, but eight and nine, like you just said, and eight and nine or whatever, you know, because you don't get men on base. So this is pretty easy. Let's say, and you don't need to be, uh, you know, math major. Let's say your first three hitters all have on base just for round numbers, Jesse, Fred, 333. That means the odds are that one of those guys will get on base every three times, which means in the first inning, the odds are one of those three guys will be on base, you know, numbers-wise, right? One-third, one-third, one-third. The odds are... For your four-hitter. The four-hitter should almost always bat in the first inning with a man on base just based on the numbers, which is what these guys do make their living on is the numbers. So let's go now to number one and number two. This is where Theo has to get creative, if that's the word, and find a way to trade for a guy like this Whitmerry Field, maybe a center fielder that's out there that a team's not in the hunt, uh, you know, an aging guy that you don't have to pay, but he's got on base. And if you could bet, and I, lo- I loved your batting order because you were basing it on what they have now, and it was terrific. But let's say you actually had a couple on base leadoff type guys, one and two. Uh, Dyson, Jared Dyson of the Diamondbacks. You know, he's 34 years old, doesn't have much money coming. He's got a 350 on base. Merrifield, second base, 350 on base. You replace Almora and you replace Russell with two guys like that. You bat him one, two. Uh, Fred, Jesse, here's what you would have. Merrifield leading off, 355 on base. Dyson batting second, 347 on base. Now it gets interesting. Baez third. Rizzo fourth, Bryant fifth, Schwarber where he belongs sixth. How do you like Contreras in the seven hole? And Hayward, who's having far and away his best Cub year statistically, if you compare to the other three years. And to make you happy, Jesse, I went right, left, right, left, right, left, right, left. You happy with that, right? Oh yeah, yeah. And and the thing is, look, you're you're that that's a little pie in the sky thinking to think they'd get two, but let's say they just get one. 
and could put him at the top. I really think in this case, in with this lineup, it really has a big, big effect. I don't care if the guy has zero home runs or not. If you can get a 360 guy, one guy to lead off, I think it has a trickle-down effect on the lineup that bigger than, in you, than, than maybe in the past because this lineup has been disjointed and has – I mean, Jed said it to me. Look, in the past – They've gotten to the third or fourth hitter in their lineup in the first inning, and there's and the pitcher's 18 pitches in, and he's sweating, and you know Dexter Fowler's on the base pass, and this guy is just a you know he's 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 a mess. The pitcher by the time they sure. even get to the middle of the first inning, they need someone like that just to create some just just uh, pressure on that pitcher. So I, I don't think they can get two, but if they could get one, I think it has a huge effect on this team. I'd probably put that certainly above left-handed relief. Um, you you got if you only have the assets to get one guy, you got to find that leadoff man. I think this year more than any in the past is it's that important. Well, uh, you can get Merrifield. You'd have to pony up. Uh, you know, Gonzo had an, and he'll be with us at eleven. He had another my guy, oh, Mark, Mark Gonzalez <laughs> Tribune, my guy. He had an interesting <laughs> note. Uh, Fred, we talked about this in the first hour. The Cubs signed two catchers. Uh, the other day in what's known as the international free agent signing, okay, which raises the curiosity, Mark Gonzo says, that maybe a top catching prospect like Miguel Amaya could be in a deal. I know Bowden got a lot of press. Oh, they're not going to that baloney. Number one, he don't know, and number two, he don't know. If you could get Merrifield, you got to get him. And a guy like Dyson, I pointed out exclusively, Jesse, and you're right. Well, you may not get them both pie in the sky, but hold on. Dyson's 34. He's got a half year left at 3.7 million a year. That's 1.8 or whatever it comes to. How to Arizona? They'll take. Take the money off my hands, they'll say, save me one point seven million and give me something down at A or you know, class double. I think it's more I think pie in the sky was a little uh a like little pie. overblown. Yeah, I guess I'm j i am was not even thinking specifically. You know. I'm just thinking it's it's hard enough to get one well, and you're asking Theo to I don't get know. two, but well, that's but what Theo's up. gotta do because you put himself in this pickle. Uh, you're so right, and I I like that you focused on Amaya. That's a good one. For, forget about the international signings. Where is Contreras and Katana? Uh, I'm sorry, and Caratini going? That's a great twosome right now. I would sign, you know, not not that they have to, but it, I'd sign both those guys for five years, and and you're you're set starting catcher. And and Caratini is a perfect backup, perfect backup switch hitter. Good demeanor is handling the pitching staff mm-hmm. better and better. So where is Amaya going? Where are those international free agents going? They're, they're nowhere on the major league team. I think you're exactly right. Miguel Amaya is the piece, is the chip, mm-hmm. not not Elmora. It's got to be a top flight type of prospect or multiple ones. And I, I you know, why don't Sylvie ask me yesterday about Alzali? And that's the one guy they don't want to trade. I mean, obviously, we don't know if he's going to be a stud or not, but he's the one guy that has an opportunity to be in that rotation as a cost-controlled guy. I think they would trade almost any other prospect mm-hmm. besides Azulay as long as their scouts say he's that good. So I think you're right on the money. A guy like Amaya is the guy to trade. Is it more about Azulay uh, not wanting to move him because of what you have going forward with pitchers that are getting older and oh, yeah. deals are running out and things like that? Oh, yeah, for sure. Even I mean, Hamels leaves. Chatwood could slide into the rotation. But, man, you don't want to be you know, relying on all these guys. And then you have to replace Lester in a year. Alzali is a key, key member into the next sort of run or window of, of winning for this team if he's if he's that guy. Now, maybe his scouts are like, all right, we're just shopping him because we don't think he's that good. Right. You know, we're showcasing him. But I, So I don't know. I think they like him. 
I think he has shown enough signs. I, I said yesterday, having that team meeting the night, before, you know, the day before that he started probably was a mistake in hindsight. But whatever that, let's just whatever he could get rocked at any point. It doesn't mean he's not a prospect or a good prospect. So yes, I think Alzali should be probably a near keeper on this on this organization. I heard you say that about the team meeting. Who calls a team meeting with a players only meeting? Jesse, um, Jesse did it. <laughs> yeah, I wish. No, I, I don't know who actually said let's have a meeting. Could have been a couple guys. I don't know, but yeah, it's. It's it's a couple of the veterans for sure. It's not like a rookie called it. Like Rizzo, or like Rizzo, yeah, or those, Lester, those type, or those type of guys. It could have been, a, a, yeah, those type of guys. I don't know exactly who. And it wasn't that big of a deal. They were about to have meetings anyway with the uh, first game of a series. They have pitchers meetings and they have hitters meetings. They just decide to combine it for a few minutes and then separate. So it wasn't too over the top, but I think that it can throw a, a rookie off like that because he was involved in the meeting. Anyway, who knows about the cause and effect of his bad right. start. It doesn't matter. He's a rookie. He's going to have one at some point. And look at sure. the Pirates. They have not stopped hitting, for God's sakes. I mean, they had an unbelievable comeback last yesterday. They haven't stopped games. hitting Cub batters. <laughs> right, that too. That too. Four more series. There's going to be some fireworks. I would I would almost bank on it. Right out of the box, right? It. Right out of the box yeah, after right the, the All-Star box. game. That's and right. then three more after that. Pat Hughes was having dinner with him. Murphy reminded me. 20% of the Cub games uh, left on the schedule are against the Pirates. That mm-hmm. was before last series. So uh, there's a lot. And I mentioned this yesterday, just since we're on the topic. 45 of 72 remaining games after the break against the Central Division. It is going to be a bloodbath. 81 and 81, all five teams. I know. Jesse Rogers with my, uh, We're all within four games right now. Pat, I mean, it was three and a half yesterday. Uh, Pat Hughes' yeah. best line is, well, I'm always willing to pick up the check. <laughs> Implying, I don't feel like doing it. Pat's the best. I hope he. I hope he. Uh, he said, uh, "Say hi to Murph." Not, and now he's saying Murph. I, I, I have dinner with him with other people every so often before. He's video. my buddy. Said, Did you tell him I said hi? Come on. Yeah. Well, I, I, if I haven't, I will. Mm-hmm. But what he's great at is you're having dinner, he's and he will best. just pop, pop up with a, a great. <laughs> Trivia thing, or uh, yeah. Jesse, did you know in last night's game, and he'll give you a moment mm. that you didn't think about that mm-hmm. hasn't happened in years. He's always good with that because he's he's baseball history, Pat, a guy like uh. Pat Hughes. You know, so it's it's fun to be around him. And and uh, I th- we've brought your name up, Murph. I mean, uh, okay. not o- you know, not always in the most positive yeah. light. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Tell him when I write my book, I'll give him one. <laughs> you got it. Yeah, have you ever heard Pat Hughes tell he's told us on the air when he was like ten years old? He grew up, uh, you know, San Francisco Giants fan in the Bay Area, and he and his buddy Fred. This is great. Did you heard this one? They're like ten years old. They're at Candlestick Park. Uh-huh. They're playing, coincidentally playing the Cubs. Uh, you know, whatever year this would have been, uh, early six, and they find that the visitors' clubhouse door. It's not many people. It's open. It's open. <laughs> they, so remember when you're 10 years old, you could do anything. Like sure. They walk right in. Jesse, have you ever heard this one? No, I don't think I have. Oh, yeah, yeah. I haven't t- so he walks in with his buddy, and now they're in the Cubs locker room like an hour and a half before the game. And they're just standing there. No one's telling them to leave or anything. And they see uh, Billy Williams, and uh, Billy says... Hey guys, come on over. And they're sitting there Jeez. talking with Billy Williams and Ron Sato and Spicer. Hey, who are you guys? <laughs> how cool. Uh, you, you'd be in handcuffs today. I don't care if you're 10 oh, years old or not. You know how it works. I know. Um, All right, yeah. Jesse. Uh, I so- can just imagine Pat Hughes. You probably walked up. Well, Whistler, it's a pleasure to meet you. <laughs> Good arrow. I'm always willing to pay. <laughs> so we've got uh, Crosstown Classic, Jesse. Let's look at these Saturday and Sunday quick the pitching matchups. Uh, 
John Lester today, uh, seven and six. Earned run 3.89 and a red-hot Giolito, though the Cubs uh, roughed him up last time around with that grand slam by, Carita- by uh, Contreras in the first inning. He's 11-2, and two, heading to the All-Star game, maybe starting, they say. Uh, Ernie of a 2.72. Kyle Hendricks, Sunday versus Nova. Both right-handed pitchers for the White Sox. This will be the designated hitter. Uh, right-handed pitchers, Jesse. I'm looking at, uh, well, Hayward, if he's dinged up. Uh, uh, maybe he would DH to save him a couple days out in the field. Caratini's been hitting. He's a possible DH. I can't imagine Descalso. But here's your sleeper, Robel Garcia. What do you, you know, Joe? You've sat down with him when he makes out the batting order lineup. Any uh, thoughts? What, what would you think might be a good idea for the uh, DH the next two days? I also think you have to consider Schwarber. He's had an up and down time in left field. And that way you could put Brian out there mm-hmm. and, and Bodie at third if you want to go that route. I think go, Robo right. Garcia I think Robo Garcia is starting at second base the next two days. That's that's wow. would be my opinion. All right. I mean I, he's starting in some capacity. I believe it would be second base. There's always a chance he could DH. I mean, think about your second baseman on the roster. If you're not starting Russell, Robo Garcia defensively is as good as anybody, right? So I don't think they're gonna start Russell. I think Garcia is gonna get some run. Now if they want defense they could start Russell and still start Garcia at DH. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm saying it both ways. But, you know, it, it all depends on if he wants Bodie in the lineup. Bodie at third, um, Brian in left, Schwarber as the DH. But you're also right about Jason Hayward having missed two games. So I, I don't have a great feel since we have a couple moving parts. Yeah. And it is just Robo Garcia's second or third day with the team. All right, I'll give you and, a, uh, I'll throw you a changeup. Okay? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Robo Garcia can play left. A little, but he played a week there in, in the minors uh, just this last just week saying, or two. Yeah. That, don't, yeah. that don't bother Joe, you know that. Yeah, So yeah. you could, because de- I like your DHing Schwarber angle, yeah. but that would get Robel Garcia in. That's I'm just throwing it out as a change-up curve. I don't know. You yeah, know. And, you know, Joe Joe does like that up-the-field defense at mm-hmm. times. A, a guy like Lester gets ground balls. I could see that, meaning if you want Russell in the lineup, you got to find yeah. another place for Garcia. It's not a bad thought, okay. but... But with only a week in left field, you know, I almost see like, uh, you know, I don't no, know, no, Brian out there more than Garcia. Yeah, no, but no. you never know. You never know. Right. I'm just trying to find a way to keep uh, the defense at second with Addison Russell and get uh, Robel uh, into the uh, lineup sure. batting order. Uh, Jesse, Fred, I did a little, uh, did a little homework, did a little research, crunching some numbers last night. All right, thinking about Joe Madden. Joe's in year number five, all right? Well, that's why he's listening to all the people. That's why he's making moves. He's, if, what, what better yeah. time to listen to other, to other people's uh, opinions than your last year of a deal? Yeah. <laughs> Joe loves ESPN 1000. He's on the bicycle right now, somewhere near the new flyover by Navy Pier, driving his bike to Sox Park right now. Hi, Joe! If you're, you're not you're not wrong about that. In Pittsburgh, yeah. I, I rented a bike to get some exercise, and I passed him on the on one of the trails. <laughs> he was going the other way. Let me tell you something. For a 65 year old yeah. man, he was booking. He was moving mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on that bike. So he yes, a, he might be on the bike listening I, now. Are you sure he wasn't chasing <laughs> chasing down Clint Hurdle? <laughs> Maybe Hurdle's ahead of him. <laughs> how, how about the Joe West line? Joe Madden says Joe West would have made it be a great offensive tackle the way it was blocking him. Remember, that's a great line. Great line, and, and uh, just to go back to that, I, yeah. I, 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 you know, I said forty-five games against the Central. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to skip the other ones because the forty-five are what you want to watch. I mean, think about the, the the last trip. 
They get into it with the Pirates. They get into it with the Reds. Those mm. are the third and or fourth and fifth place teams. We already know about the Brewers and Cardinals rivalry. I just love this Central. I don't care if it's 81 and 81. It's going to be a great finish. It really is. Yeah, it are, is. Pe- are people still laughing at me when when the, the all five teams are going to finish 81 and 81? Or they stopped? Have you, Jesse, have you stopped laughing at me yet? No, I, I have. No, I, here's the, the progression. I've stopped laughing. Progression. I've still I've still stopped short of asking what happens. <laughs> but, you know, if there is a yeah. five-way tie. But I have stopped yeah. laughing. And in a week or two, I might get back to actually asking, you know, what, what does the league do on yeah. a five-way tie? Well, they're going to play in, into December because they're going to be doing a kind of round robin because they don't have it worked. <laughs> Out. What they should right. do is they should take bring all five teams to a uh, a separate ballpark. It's yeah. not even, and they should play like ten o'clock, yeah. one o'clock, four thirty, eight o'clock. The winner from the earlier games play later on. Yeah, yeah because <laughs> because they can't delay the playoffs that long. A crint well, header. It's like the uh, I'm at a July Fourth Little League tournament in Northbrook right now, yeah. and it's like what they do: ten a.m., two p.m., six p.m. This is what happened. I came out of retirement to do the coin flip because the team that mm-hmm. that asked me had lost the last two coin flips because it's home or road for the coin flip. And I go walk out to the mound to do the or the, the home plate to do the coin flip, lose it badly. I'm like heads, tails, heads, tails. Completely wrong. They said you're done. So <laughs> there I got go. kicked out of a little league game for getting a coin flip wrong. Yeah, Jesse bought a hundred hot dogs and buns from Jim Bodman over at Vienna. He's selling them uh, <laughs> there during the game in the back. Uh, okay, so Joe Madden's in year number five. All right, now not to stump anyone or try to be a you know smarty pants because I had to look it up. How many Cubs managers have managed more than five years straight? All right. Uh, when was I'm, go- the- I'm going with not many. Oh yeah, bingo, <laughs> bingo, bingo Bilko. Now, how many? Who was the last Cub manager I wrote down here to manage six years? You know, straight through. The last was Leo DeRocher, seven straight years. Prior to that was Charlie Grimm, who did it twice uh, in the 30s and then in the 40s, and the only other one was. Frank Chance, the peerless leader, good old Tinker Evers to Chance, and he was an eight-year guy back when the Cubs were in 1908, right. 1907. You oh, they know. were winning World Series back then. Yeah, point is, only three Cubs managers have ever managed longer than Joe Madden will have at the end of five years, Jesse. So that doesn't bode well for him. <laughs> yeah, I think that's an amazing stat you dug up. I really do think about that. Thank you. you. Know, over 100 years of baseball, mm-hmm. five years turns out to be a long time for a manager of the Cubs. And this is what I will say uh, when Joe moves on, and I'll say it now. Mm-hmm. We, 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 we have no perspective on this kind of stuff, the people that criticize Joe over the top. I've been critical of Joe, especially lately, the most critical I've ever been. But there's there, there's a line. There, you, you, you can't just go all the way to we – he stinks. He should have never been here. In the, you know what I mean? Those people that go over the top about right. him. Think about what Don Baylor was like here. Think about Jim Riggleman. Think about uh, uh, Dusty Baker. Pinella, they, all, they all got run out of town. Yeah. They all completely. In mm-hmm. Dusty, we trust he. By the time he was done, nobody would, would serve him a meal at a restaurant. In- Lou Pinella was beloved when he came to town. He's the savior. People hated him by the end. It's just the nature of it. I'll tell you why. Being in the media, Murph, you know this. These guys have to answer questions basically two to three times a day. People get sick of the answers, and they get sick of their faces. And if you don't win consistently all the time, they turn on you. It's the it's the nature. It's human nature, to be honest, let alone the nature of the business. Fred, right here on the yellow pad, familiarity 
breeds contempt. Yep, that's it. That's what Jesse was trying to say. Yeah. yeah. No, that's, that's it. true. Oh, Jim Riggleman did have five. Uh, those were the three managers, more than five. Leo, Charlie Grimm, the old left-handed banjo player, and Frank Chance, the peerless leader. Amazing. Just, I mean, five do, five doesn't sound like a lot. No, no it doesn't. Like, I mean, it takes a year to get your feet wet. Yeah. So now you're down to now you're down to three or four. Yeah. And if you don't win, you're done. Pinella, and if you do win, and if Pen- you do win, you might be done. Panella, <laughs> four years. Zimmer, four years. Fry, three years. It's only three years for Fry. Yeah. Boy, it seemed like he was here a lot longer. Yeah. Crazy. He was at the racetrack longer. That's what it was. He and was I mean, fun. Uh, he I've was never fun. seen it. I've never seen anybody fall off the cliff like Dusty did. You know, he was on top of that mountain, and then boom. So it's just the nature of the job, and it's also the nature of fans, whether it's right or wrong. I guess you know how can you go against you know the I public? T- I told you we should have made those T-shirts in uh, Dusty We Busty, but no, no. <laughs> you would have made a lot more money than the other ones. Yeah, those other ones. You know, first year or so, great. And then after that, 2003 season was all over. So Jesse's going to be wearing the, uh, the white outfit with the little white paper hat selling the uh, hot dogs at the uh, Little League game today. Yeah, and I got to find my Cubs socks shirt. I don't, I don't oh, know where the hat no. is, Fred. I got to yeah. find the sh- I have a shirt that's half Cubs, half socks. That'll piss everybody off. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have any ketchup, kid. Get away. No, we only have mustard from uh, Jim Bodman over there. <laughs> Jess, enjoy the game tonight. It See should be later. fun. Thanks, Jesse. You got it, guys. Great talking to you. See you always. later, my friend. Jesse Rogers, my friend. I know we're running late. Felix, back in a flash. Sox talk next. Busy day. Halfway home. Hope you're having a great Saturday. Murph and Freddy ESPN 1000. Across the table here, Murph and Fred, Cub fan here, White Sox fan there, and let's bring in James Vegan from The Athletic. We just, we're still recovering from talking to Jesse. Let's talk some White Sox, Fred. That's fine with me. Hey, James, good morning. How's it going? Going well, James. Uh, I'm looking here at the numbers really quick. The uh, the White Sox have played 84 games. They're 41 and 43 Last year at this time, twenty nine and fifty five. How surprising are you in this year as the rebuild continues that they're twelve games over last year's pace? Yeah, I mean, uh, I would definitely say that given that I was pessimistic about the rotation coming in, and for the fact, most part that that's kind of lived up to uh, my fears, and they still kind of done it uh, regardless. Um, Colome has definitely uh, you know, worked out better than I would have thought. Uh, James McCann is probably two or three times better than I would have thought. And Lucas Giolito's turnaround is kind of out of nowhere. So there's definitely a lot of uh, definitely a lot of positives. Definitely a lot of uh, big steps forward that probably were unforeseeable uh, on April. Probably the the other day in the uh, day night doubleheader after the game and after Abreu hits the homer. Uh, he talks through his translator about if I was the White Sox, I would sign me now and <laughs> talking about how he wants to be here and he wants to win with the guys that are coming up. And it's important for him to try to finish his career with the team that allowed him to come over to this country and play the game. Uh, what were your thoughts with, with you know, what Abreu had to say? And do you think the Sox are going to work something out with him? I mean, that was interesting because Abreu has said that he wants to be here long-term somewhere between 25 and 35,000 times <laughs> over the last, like, 12 months. Yeah. And it, recently, Rick Hahn has re- said, as, you know, as 
transparent as he is about future moves, said that uh, you know they want him here for the good parts of the rebuild, as they, as they termed it. So the fact that we're kind of still doing this back and forth of everybody stating their interest and saying how much they want to be here, the fact that the deal kind of uh, you know has not happened yet kind of goes to show you that it takes more than mutual interest to do it. That there's still an issue of kind of projecting uh, how good Abreu will be in his 30s and finding a financial match for that. I still expect him to to be here at this point. I, I've always thought that you know they kind of have already passed on the best opportunity to trade him, and the fact that he's still around indicates that they view him more as a a long-term clubhouse type that they want around. So, yeah, I, I think at some point a, a two-, three-year uh, deal gets added onto this. But it is kind of interesting that it's strung out as long as it has, and, you know, they're still making the displays of, uh, you know, wanting to be here. Uh, visiting James Fegan, athletic, covers the uh, White Sox. James, I... Our old buddy John Dewan, I heard this uh, stat. He's uh, over there at uh, you know uh, baseballinfosolutions.com. dot com, and this is a little wordy, but uh, I think it'll get us to the point. Today, the starting pitcher uh, for the White Sox, uh, Giolito, eleven and two, All Star bound, ERA two point seven two. But here's something a little more under the uh, under the table. Uh, John Dewan and the guys have this one. I would call this. Exit Velo Oppo. All right. Okay. In other words, we know it's great. The harder a hitter hits the ball, the more chance it has to, you know, get between the outfielders or get between the infielders. Uh, even though Marty Brenneman still thinks it's how quick it's a home run or not, uh, but that's Marty. That's why he's retiring. So the question is the top 10 pitchers in baseball, you know, right now, with the 10 lowest hard hit rate. So, in other words, batters don't hit the ball hard off these guys. Again, it's the exit velo oppo is what I call it. And in the top ten are two Chicago guys. One is you Darvish. They don't hit the ball hard off them. Okay. And the other is uh, Giolito. They don't hit the ball hard off him. You mentioned a few minutes ago that that is one of your surprises. You know, he's, what did you say, two times or three times better, whatever. No, it's in McCann. He's a mechanic. Oh, I thought you threw a yeah. Giolito in there, too, no? I... They're both surprisingly good. Okay, I'm sorry. Point is, we sort of know what happened with Giolito. We've always shortened his arm and this and that. But what's, what is actually happening? The hitters aren't hitting it hard. What is he doing out there? Other, we know the mechanics have changed. I don't mean that. What's actually happening when he's pitching? Uh, well, he is... Probably throwing three to four mile an hour harder than uh, he was last season consistently, mm-hmm. and he kind of had you know last year his arm slot floated uh, all over the place. I probably wrote some feature at some point about him throwing four seamers up in the zone at one point last year, and then by the next month he was a two seamer guy throwing sinkers all over the place mm-hmm. just because he was constantly moving where he was releasing the ball and the action on the ball would change, and he'd have to kind of reconfigure his whole command and response for it. Now he's pretty set in stone. He, he's a high three-quarters guy. He uses his height. He gets lots of extension. He throws really hot, hard uh, mid-90s, four seamers at the top of the zone, and then he pairs his uh, slider and his changeup off that. And, you know, guys who throw hard, guys who, uh, you know, gets lots of swing and misses, it's only a natural extension that they're hard to make contact with in general. Mm-hmm. And, and as a result of that, you see a lot of weak contact off the of Giolito just because you don't see much contact at all. It's, it's just a struggle. He's very deceptive. You don't get a look at the ball because he hides it behind his uh, tall, lean body. Uh, longer in the delivery than he used to. He used to show it for a really long period of time. It's just kind of hard to ever get a read on him. And 
something Alex Gordon said even uh, during, on the opening, his first start of the season, was that he didn't feel like his changeup was like the craziest changeup in the world as far as movement, but it just it's so hard to see it that he doesn't get a read off of it until it's too late. And so everyone's just trying to gear up for this big uh, high fastball that carries in the zone and stays up higher than you expect it to. And so everything that he pairs off of it as far as a slider that drops or a changeup that stays the other way, uh, it's too hard to get a read off of them, and you don't really ever get a chance to barrel it up. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, you talked about uh, what they've been able to do basically with a rotation that has, you know, struggled to say the least. And Giolito's done so well. Now they bring up Dylan Cease the other day, and with you know Dylan Cease day for the uh, first game of the doubleheader. Um, should Sox fans get excited about the second half or about next season? Uh, I mean. If you're a Sox fan, you one, you haven't seen a playoff team in 10 years, so you probably are already making your peace with just you know enjoying small parts of the season without necessarily uh, you know seeing a wild card team. Right. I think you definitely are excited to watch Cease uh, down the stretch. That's probably your big prospect guy to watch on the season. I mean, I, I expect Luis Robert to get another promotion this year, but I wouldn't expect to see him in the majors. Seeing if Giulio can keep this up, seeing if uh, El- I think Eloy is probably going to have a much stronger second half than he had first half. Hmm. Um, you're, you're, you're probably what you want to see at the end of the season is a team that looks like it's a few moves away from being a playoff team in 2020. That's what you're trying to assess because that's what really tells you if they're going to keep Colome, if Abreu makes sense long term because they think they're going to be ready to compete really next season. If they're not going to be ready for another year or two, then some of these veterans that you're seeing success from, like McCann, you kind of more wonder how they fit. So what what you want to see is a team that can play 500 or better and really maybe have a a run differential that's more justifying a 500 record than they have right now to indicate that, you know, if they're aggressive this offseason, maybe the wild card, maybe a division run if Minnesota isn't as good next year is more realistic. So you're, you're looking for, uh, you know, kind of a job interview of sorts of for a 2020 playoff spot more than you're looking for a playoff spot this year. You mentioned McCann earlier, and then you mentioned him again there, and you you look at a James McCann, and I got to tell you, when the, the announcement was made that the White Sox got James McCann, I said, okay, fine, you know, bring a catcher in, a veteran guy. I didn't have any expectations. What he's been able to do is amazing, not only hitting, which has been tremendous for him, but the way he's been able to deal with these young pitching staff. Is he a guy, I mean, you you look at it, and the White Sox and young pitchers, that's what they're going to have over the next several years. It's pretty important, in my opinion, to keep a guy around like that. Granted, you have young catchers, but can they do anything close to what McCann can do for the young pitching staff? I wouldn't, you know, they, they will tell you, and it's fair enough that uh, Zach Collins still has years of development to go, that he's going to be developed in the majors, and that's right. very true. You know, catchers take a very long time uh, to put together. I'm sure Detroit went through years where, you know, McCann was very much learning on the job. Sure. Yeah, I think he's pretty indispensable right now for what you're trying to do. I, beyond uh, Collins, beyond Sebi Zavala, who was kind of struggling offensively this year when he came up, you don't really have anything that's even close to Major League ready. I don't see McCann as really being somebody they can push aside because it's been so hard for them to get a good, you know, pitch handling uh, catcher back there. And, you know, he's not that old. I mean, Detroit kind of cut loose on him with two years left of uh, arbitration eligibility. So, one, they don't have to extend him to have him next year. And he won't tow in 30 until midway through next season. It, it seems like if even if you're extremely high on, on Collins and Zavala, uh, you would need to keep McCann as a, a decent bridge for you know one year, two years, sure. three years and, until they're ready, and then maybe even beyond that. And this team has kind of struggled to have a, a defensive-minded catcher, even though you know Nevaeh hit for them last year. 
having some guy who can manage the staff as well as he can, they haven't really had that in a while since uh, really since they let Tyler Flowers go. So um, I, I, I see him as pretty essential to, to what they're doing going forward. Of course, the Tigers GM, Al Avila, he just got a big extension yes, for did. letting go of uh, McCann. <laughs> Final couple of thoughts. Appreciate his time on a busy, busy Crosstown Classic day. James Fegan over at the Athletic Covers the White Sox. I'm listening to you, James. A couple minutes ago, I think you said, I wrote it down, you expect Eli to have a much better second half. And I'm thinking, whoa, he didn't have a much of a, he didn't have a poor first half. Uh, in fact, Fred and I had crunched some numbers out, and Mark Gonzalez, uh, or Sully rather, did it today. Uh, Eli, since June 9th, call it a month, nine homers, 22 RBIs, times six months, because uh, that's what a season is. That'd be 54 homers. 132 RBIs, you know. That's pretty good. Over the last month, uh, Baseball Reference does a thing where they project times 162, you know, like if you played every day, which no one does, but he's sitting now on a 41 homer, 97 RBI season, you know, again, if you played every day. But if you have him doing uh, even better, what can you project uh, next year if he, you know, is here opening day and doesn't get dinged up too much, you know, you're really uh, putting him on a high level here. But I agree with you. I, I just think he can get on base a lot more. Uh, he's striking out probably twice as often as he was in AAA uh, near the end of last season, where he kind of showed a lot of uh, ability to put the bat on the ball, to make contact, to work the other field. You know, yeah, he's hitting for power already, and, you know, that, that, that's good, and that's what we expected, and he's a strong guy. Whenever he kind of makes contact, it's going to go a long way. But I think he can be a lot better contact guy, and I think he will be a lot better contact guy. Right now he's – He's probably striking out a little bit more than Yohan Mankata is, and I think he's someone who's going to strike out significantly less than Mankata going forward. I, I think he's been someone who can post the 350, 360, hmm. 370 on-base percentage down the road. and So I think I expect him to creep a lot closer to that over the course of the second half. And uh, Dylan Cease was a throw-in. Okay. <laughs> it worked. You, you, it threw we're not making this deal unless you go as Dylan Cease. Okay, we want Quintana. No, Theo says we're not making a deal unless you take him off, Dylan Cease off my hands. Whatever. James, always a pleasure. Now, I know you got a busy day. You're going to cover the uh, weekend here at Sox Park. Thanks for jumping in on ESPN 1000, my friend. Thanks, James. Thanks for having me. You bet. Dylan Cease. Uh, you know, he brought up a good point about Eloy and the strikeouts. He's got 71 in 60 games. Mm-hmm. Uh, Moncada has 92. Um, Moncada has cut down a little bit. I know it sounds strange with 92 strikeouts in 77 games. He's cut down a lot, I bet yeah. you. Yeah. But uh, you think about it. Uh, Jimenez is going to learn the strike zone that's called in the big leagues kind of the way Moncada did. And also learn that you got to jump on some of those early pitches and not take pitches. And that's what Moncada was doing a lot last year. Moncada now, his, his on base is up to 356 with a 304 average uh, and a 538 slug, which is better than Eloy's. So um, Moncada's been amazing. And, uh, you know, we talk a lot, we, even in that segment right there, we talked about McCann and Abreu and Eloy. And, um, but Moncada has been what he's done and the way he's transformed his game from last year. It's pretty darn amazing. And he's showing his power. He's been just terrific. And he's been really good at third mm-hmm. base. I also bet you that Eloy's strikeouts per at-bat, strikeout rate, has plummeted in the last month. 
But you're looking at the whole year right there, of course, because yeah. he was striking out. He was flailing at sliders outside, down, and he, now he's laying off those. So I'll bet you his strikeout rate's gone in, a, in the right Well, that's the shame, too, when he lays off a pitch that should be a ball and yeah. it gets called a strike when it yeah. looks low and he's had a couple of those lately too. Well Frank Thomas was famous for taking a pitch one inch outside ball three yeah. with two men out and one out he could have maybe driven but he never changed. He, he never, never well, varied. Uh, there was one year where he did okay. and then he slumped and then he realized <laughs> what am I doing? I gotta stop this. Real quick Sox fans Dylan Cease did you miss a little miss a lot? Rick Sutcliffe yesterday uh, 519 in the afternoon Waddle and Sylvie show. Sut had seen Dylan Cease when Sut uh, does his spring training work with the Cubs. Uh, hired, uh, you know, to, I don't know if they hire him, but he comes down every spring, works with some of the young players, and uh, he says, Well, I saw Dylan Cease when he was a Cub young rookie. I told you that I have seen it very few times in my career. Um, I first saw it with a kid named Greg Maddox when I was with Chicago. I saw it in Baltimore with a guy named Mike Messina. I saw it in San Diego with a kid named Jake Peavy, and I told you for the fourth time I saw it with Kyle Hendricks. Um, Whatever Marco it is, they collectively had it. And I mean, they had a lot of it. And what I meant by that was just that look in their eye, the tougher the situation got, the more competitive and, and, and the better they got. And in the little bit that I got to see Dylan Cease in spring training, I tagged him with that. He was the fifth guy up to this point, and only five that I have seen at that age coming through the minor league system where they had hit. Pretty interesting. Yeah. He, he <laughs> had it. Company. Yeah, he had it the other day, especially after that oh, first inning. The it man. Yeah. Murph and Fred, uh, let's see, in about 15 minutes, Mark Gonzalez said, hey, I'll phone in, Tribune Cubs guy. Oh, and we return. It's so much on the yellow pad here, Fred, so much to do between now and noon. But I want a quick touch on the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates throwing at the Cubs. And, uh, boy, a lot of fans, they always go, well, you know what, don't throw at people, just get them out. But what happens when the reverse flip the script? Yeah, I never hear anyone talking about that. Murph and Fred, ESPN 1000. Vote now. Our Twitter polls are hopping. ESPN 1000. Mike Murphy, Fred Hubner, back together on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Looks like beautiful weather. Crosstown Classic, 6 o'clock, 6.15. Sure hope so. Glenn Casper and A.J. Brzezinski on the call on Fox. It'll be fun. A fun listen. Hope you're going to that. Mark Gonzalez, uh, Gonzo, covers the Cubs for the Tribune. He's going to phone in in a few minutes. Wilson Contreras said, that's the first time I've seen Joe that mad. (laughs) Talking about Joe Madden the other day, he says, uh, we took his fire, Contreras said, who then double, triple added a single. We needed that. We'll talk about that maybe a few minutes with Gonzo. Fred, real quick, the uh, Cubs and the Pirates, those Pirates, they love throwing at people. Ah, they just throw inside. Oh, that's true. But and even Joe said afterwards, he said, hey, I'm all for throwing inside. Well, yeah, if you know how to do it. You got to get the guys off the plate. I understand that. Then uh, I'll tell you one other thing. With the league now going, the pitchers are now throwing the high heat, the four-seamers right. up about, uh, you know, letter high, they used to call it, armpit high, top of the zone, to try to offset the uh, launch angle, yeah. yada, yada, yada. Sure. But here's the thing. 
with more pitchers now throwing high intentionally. And a lot of them maybe haven't ever done it much in their career or young guys. And yeah. So now, if you miss in and out, it's not as bad when you missed in and out at the belt or down by the knees. No. See? And that hasn't been factored in yet by a lot of the experts talking about it. But the more they throw up, 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 which they're doing, 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 yeah. there's going to be more and more that are in a, just an inch or two. Sometimes you'll see a ball that's high, like chin high, but it's over the strike zone. Yeah, Billy Ripken did a great job on MLB.com oh, the other day because he it. said there's a lot of hitters yeah. whose feet, whose toes are on oh, yeah. the batter's box. Like Rizzo. They're standing right on the on the plate. Sure. And he said when a ball comes high and tight to push him off the plate and they uh-huh. get hit, they shouldn't complain because it's going to happen when they're that close. Now, the one off Bodie's head, complain about that one. The one on Baez, I'm not sure about that one. The one with Baez, I'm not sure. Throwing the ball upstairs so often here today, and a lot of times it's been too close, and that's what Joe was worked up about. And again, I don't. There's no intent here with the bases loaded. Let's hope David's all right. A run scores. That's Rizzo. First priority is making sure David Bodie is okay. First things first, Fred. You and I have done this with EO11. We finally turned Eric around. That a bean ball. For a hundred years, meant to hit the batter in the bean, right. in, the head, in the head, the coconut ball, right? Yeah. And uh, then about 20, 30 years ago, it became a bean ball was even if you hit him in the ankle or the fanny. The first I ever heard was Steve Dahl, and it was a California thing, I realized. Uh-huh. Uh, they started it out there. Oh, he got beaned in the ankle. <laughs> what? But let's bring in Felix Reyes uh, in for uh, EO11. Felix, uh, now how, how did you grow up with the phrase beanball? What did that uh, conjure to you? I thought that just usually meant when, when a player got hit uh, by the pitcher, but I didn't know specifically to the head. Okay, so you're from the old school of thinking that the first time you've been called old school, right? Yep. The old school and I was, <laughs> oh, he got beamed in the butt. Uh, to you, that would be a normal phrase. Correct. All right, so did you notice how Len Casper phrased it? He knows probably that it used to be a beanball. Uh, now anything that hitches a beanball, so he couldn't say beanball because... Well, well, he could have on that well, one. But he, but no, he, yes. Yeah. But he opted not to because, you know, as most people don't know that a bean ball is. So, you know, just the first 10 seconds again. Can you bring that back for us? Oh, he got hit in the helmet. Fine. Okay. Yeah, which was fine. Which was fine. Well, he probably, I mean, he, it happened so quick. He, oh, no, right. That's the first he would have rolled off his tongue well, as opposed to being beat. I heard right another there. call that went, oh, he just got. And then there was a pause. You knew the, he was going to say, but no, I can't say bean. See, the, that one, and, and they broke it down, too. A lot yeah. of, you know, the Pirates pitchers come in high and tight. That's oh, yeah. fine. You're not trying to hit a guy when you get the bases loaded. No. That's but, not happening. They but, weren't trying to hit right. the guy. But in the old days, he would have been thrown by the belt buckle over there, and it would have hit him in the ribs. And, uh, you know, yeah. that is scary. Uh, and the and the Baez pitch that got that hit, it was just, it was in on his hands. Well, Well, that was in, though. Well, I'm going to throw Baez in, too. Yeah. You know, because you don't want to throw over the plate. Well. And he stopped swinging at the balls in the dirt. Well, you're so. right. But the hitters 
all of them. They don't anticipate anything inside anymore. It's like the gentleman's club. Yeah. And then when you do come inside, and as you mentioned, they're all on the line. They're yep. all standing on there. Mark Gonzalez next, talking Cubs, Crosstown Classic, Murph and Fred, hour number three, just around the corner. ESPN 1000. From Mark Danzo Gonzalez, Tribune Cubs guy, Murph and Fred right now, and uh, Fred, we talked a little NBA earlier, and uh, maybe we'll shoehorn the the big national news in a uh, few minutes. But some guy named Kawhi is yeah. going to L- yeah. L.A., yeah. but not who people thought he yeah, was. Cross town classic weekend. Let's talk some Cubs. That's always reminds you of the Sutcliffe in there, guys. Jump. Let's jump over to Mark Gonzalez. He said he'd phone in from the Tribune. He has. Good morning, Mark. Hi, guys. <laughs> hey, Mark. Everything's good. It's a busy weekend. Thanks for a couple minutes of your busy time. Now, uh, let me let's look at the excitement level. Now, you've You've been covering baseball for a long time, and the ball players have been playing for a long time. And they always say to the uh, ball players, you know, do you have a little extra, you know, jump in your step to get a little extra pump, a little extra adrenaline, the Cubs and the Sox? And of course, oh, yeah, it's great defense. But let me ask a guy like you. And uh, not that every day at work isn't exciting and fun, don't get me wrong, but uh, uh, do the uh, media, media guys, when you walk into a ballpark on a day like today, do you feel a little extra adrenaline pumping, or is it just one of 162? Are the players telling us the truth? Do they get pumped up, or are they just saying that for, for the fans? Oh, I think that there there is... This one's different, and I say this for many reasons. One is the White Sox are ascending. Uh, the Cubs did the rope-a-dope in, in Pittsburgh and then the last 50 games. I, I think in the back of their minds, they can't wait for the break, but at the same time, uh, the adrenaline just playing the last two games at home and, and the fans being energized, it should give them a little more uh, uh, hop in their step. All right. In fact, let's bring in uh, Felix Reyes. Felix, one of our Twitter polls, been active for about four hours. Uh, the question was, uh, this two-game Cubs-Sox series, is it more important to the uh, A, the Cubs, B, the Sox, or C, equally important? Now, you can look at this from different directions. Are Cub fans going to uh, try to, you know, commandeer some of the uh, uh, votes and such. But just in basic, Felix, what do fans say? Are the two-game series more important to the Cubs or the Sox or equally important to both? So at 60% with the lead, the Cubs. Okay. White Sox are at 24% and then both okay. are at 16%. So huh. as, you, as you point out, Mark, you know, the uh, uh, Cubs are in a battle. Not that the Sox aren't, but they're six back in the wild card. And sure, everybody wants to win. But after winning Thursday in Pittsburgh, uh, two more games, every game for the Cubs right now before the All-Star break, maybe there's a little more, 
I don't want to say pressure, but a little more importance uh, uh, on the Cubs side. But again, the White Sox want to, you know, kick them at home too. It, it, it looks like it's shaping up to a great two games. Yeah, I think it is, especially, you know, even looking at tonight's matchup with Lester against Giolito. Uh, that's, that's really going to be something there, especially uh, for, for Giolito's great first half. I mean, the, the Cubs got him once, so I think there might be, be some extra incentive there heading to the All-Star break. And, and John, being the veteran of the staff, uh, I think he wanted to, wants to finish on a good note, and there's always, you know, it lines up that he'll be starting one of the first two games of the second half. So um, there's that to look look to. So um, and also the division. I mean, you guys talked about it earlier with Jesse, the, the National League Central, and just the importance of taking care of your own business. You know, they're not playing a division rival, but nevertheless, they win. They're going to gain on somebody. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, they're not, but then you got they've got the the Brewers playing against the Pirates, so you know they know someone there is going to lose, and the division's ridiculous, uh, separated by only four games. Guys, I don't think uh, in in your history of covering baseball, there I don't think there's ever been a division like this, has there? No, it's been really goofy. I mean, you look, I mean, dating back, and Murphy, you know this, going back to '73 when the Mets won uh, the division, maybe with, like, what, 82, 83 games? That's they right. won the World Series. 82 and, then, and 80, I bet you're right. Yeah, and then Tony La Russa's, uh, Cardinals, I believe, in, in 2006, I think they won only 83 games. So, um, but, but to have five teams bunched up like this is, is just crazy. I mean, there's different ways you can look at it, <laughs> and I guess it, each of the five teams can be thankful that nobody's uh, gone on a hot streak and run away with this thing. I had asked uh, earlier this week, I had asked one of the ESPN baseball guys, I said, is the NL Central the best or the worst division in the National League? And what they say? Well, they said they said they were thinking. They said they thought originally it was the best, but now they're starting to think it's the worst. But you look at it, you know, there's no Marlins in this one. There's no Giants in this one. Royals. I mean, there's no Royals. Yeah, I mean, no, no Royals, no Baltimore Orioles. So I'm just trying to figure out if it makes it the best division or the or the worst division. Because as I, if I could interject, that's exactly right, Fred. Because you look at the Yankees. Oh, look at all the victories. But they're going to play 19 games with the Orioles. Right. Going to play 19 uh, games here and there. The so, Blue Jays. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it's tougher to play a team every day 19 times. It's 500 as opposed to fattening up. So it, it's a very uh, philosophical question, Mark Gonzalez. My only one ever. <laughs> no, I, I think I think they sit in the middle, and I'll say this because uh, the Dodgers clearly are, are the class of the National League. Um the, the Giants are horrible, so, I mean, it's, it's a real lopsided division, although, you know, the Padres have been pesky, and, and you know, the other two teams are, are okay. I mean, the Rockies sh- should be playing better than what they're, they're doing, but, right. you know, they're still formidable with their offense. And you look at the uh, National League East, where you got four pretty or three pretty competitive teams uh, with the Braves really having a lot, of, a, lot, a lot of spunk, you know, with the young guys, you know, uh, Acuna and Albies. And they're young pitchers, and you know, and the Nationals for all their warts early, they're really coming on strong. And the Phillies should be better than what they're doing, but you know, they're the Phillies. So, yeah. so having said all that, I, <laughs> I would say I would say that the NL Central's right in the middle. Okay, Joe Madden, of course, uh, managed for years Tampa Bay and uh, the designated hitter, which is, I think, a little bit of an advantage for a National League team that has a manager that for many years 
you know, knew how the DH works, lineup construction, to use that new phrase. We kicked this around with Jesse a little earlier. Who knows? I don't think it's out yet. What might be some of the options, Mark, for uh, Joe to look at with the DH uh, tonight? Well, a couple things to consider. One is Jason Hayward's. uh, She should be in the lineup. I'm not sure about his mobility after, you know, banging up his back and, and hip. Uh, you'd like his glove out there if he's 100%, but that's one consideration. The other, obviously, is Schwarber. And, and, and as the DH, you know, he's played left field, and usually he's the DH in American League games. That's something to look at. Uh, you guys mentioned Garcia earlier. You know, with Joe putting a premium on defense and Garcia's uh, lack of work out there, I, I, I'd kind of be hesitant to stick him out there. And also, you're also dealing with with a, with a short bench, depending on what the the corresponding roster move will be if they activate Edwards. So there's a lot of balls in play right now. Um, I think we'll wait and see what happens there. But uh, you know, in some ways, I wouldn't be surprised if Garcia is the DH. I'm not trying to be mean, but wow. if you're John uh-huh. Lester, do you knock on Joe's door and say, "Hey, Joe, last game I played, I you know, I the first guy got on, and then." And it was an easy fly ball to left field, and uh, our left fielder dropped it. Could we make sure he DHs today? Huh. Talking about he wouldn't, be, he wouldn't be the first pitcher to do that. I covered the Diamondbacks <laughs> when Bob wow. Dunley was a manager and Randy Johnson was pitching, and and Bob used to joke to a great line. He said, "Rule fifty one." Meaning Randy would, would would suggest who he wanted in there. Okay, okay, yeah. Uniform fifty one. Yeah. yeah, because you you look at it, and uh, that was one of the easier catches that uh, Schwarber has missed. And uh, you know, and left field in, at at uh, guaranteed rate is not the most difficult field in the world to play. It's actually pretty short, and so you actually less room to to cover for him. But I don't know. Uh, I, I would ball, think he's your DH. Finds you, the ball finds oh. you too. I remember. I think Ryan Lamar missed the ball out there last year. You're right. White Sox and wins. Yeah, so. the, the ball will. Find you tell Wilson Contreras out in right field. And again, I'm not criticizing him. He's not a right fielder. Hayward might have caught that ball uh, Wednesday. I tell you one thing, if Brian had been in right field or Bodie, I don't think they catch that ball either, but that was a few days ago. A couple more thoughts. We'll spring Mark Gonzo Gonzalez on uh, his busy day. Oh, backtracking. Uh, defense left field, DH, Cubs, and you say, well, you know, and I agree with you, basically, that well, Robel, uh, Robel uh, Garcia, I don't know if you put him in. Okay, I love Schwarber. He, he gives 100%. I thought he played that ball perfectly. He couldn't get the man at home then the game. I've heard people say, oh, he didn't go back and round or What was a line drive? Yeah, he he went chance. right to it. Couldn't get momentum going. Point is, would a, and I don't know the answer. There is no answer, Mark. Would uh, uh, the kid, uh, well, he's 26, Robel uh, Garcia, how do we know he's not as good in left field as uh, Schwarber, even though he's never played there? And I don't mean any disrespect to Schwarbs. That's, just... the, way, that's the way you always start a phrase. Yeah. No, no disrespect. Well, yeah. <laughs> what you're saying is you want to find out tonight. No, 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 okay, sure... You got me there. I'm done. Okay, you're done. <laughs> no, no, but, but no. I mean, get, keep this in mind. With, no, no. with Lester pitching, <laughs> I'm sure the White Sox will stack their lineup with right-handers. Okay. So that means a lot of balls hit to left. Yeah. 
All yeah, right. that's true. Now you got me there. You're exactly right. They got, they got enough switch hitters here with Moncada and Sanchez and Larry Garcia. They can th- they can throw those guys oh, in. They can switch speaking hit. Speaking of Larry Garcia, uh, Mark, you uh, wrote today some great stuff as always in the Tribune. For all the criticisms, uh, and I agree with you on this, Fred, in fact, brought this up a little bit the other day himself. He says, you're right, uh, for all the criticisms of the Cubs and making that trade with the White Sox, you know, Eloy uh, and uh, Dylan sees for uh, Q Quintana, they should not shy away from considering, you know, making a deal maybe, uh, look at kicking the tires, the versatile Lurie Garcia. Fred, you uh, you think that's the type of guy that uh, might work he's out? He's a leadoff guy, switch hitter. You know, he's hitting 300, and he can play center field pretty well. I mean, he seems like to fill a couple spots for the Cubs. Yeah, and keep in mind with the uh, July 31st trade deadline being the only one going on, you're going to look for a speed guy as well, so... If he's not in that lineup, he could come off the bench and help steal a base for you. So uh, that's what, another consideration. I mean, the landscape has changed so much with a singular uh, trade deadline. And uh, a tip of the hat to the uh, Cubs, uh, much uh, by me, maligned uh, <laughs> scouting and procurement and development. But evidently, you know, they had a guy, they had a bird dog guy out at one of those Arizona Fall League games scouting whoever, the Reds, are, and they're playing the uh, national uh, Italian team, Italy or whatever, and scout sees him and puts his, uh, you know, writes it down on the three-by-five card like they used to do and submitted it. So uh, right now, you know, you get them for nothing, and uh, Garcia, uh, the Cubs Garcia, they'd have two, they would have two Garcias when they get uh, Lurie here. Well, not nearly as good as the White Sox had when they had the all-Garcia outfield. I was there that one day at Sox Park. <laughs> all yeah. three uniforms, uh, that was Avi and uh, Lurie and the other guy. Willie. Willie. Who was playing for the Chicago Dogs, I think, now, really. He came to town against the Chicago Dogs yeah, last week. Yeah, but he eats well. He eats well yeah. at the Dogs. And, Mark, all three outfielders just, just Garcia, Garcia, Garcia. I said, don't they have, like, a they can get the iron and stamp and press on a first initial for me? I mean, who are these guys? But you had a great other little angle today. Uh, when the Cubs this week signed two catchers, during the international free agent signing period, it uh, you know raises curiosity as to uh, what uh, their top catching prospect down there, I guess A Ball and Miguel Amaya, what he could fetch in the deal. And again, not speculating a deal, but it was curious uh, what could a, a team like the Cubs get for this uh, catcher of the future some say you know really high quality and you know can't mi- everybody can miss but what could they package up and uh, draw back for this Miguel Amaya you know roughly well he, you know he's a top 100 prospect for starters you'd like to see more uh, from the bat but um, he was a guy that uh, we saw in snippets during some exhibition games and he showed a, a great willingness to learn uh, looked very polished back at the plate, uh, given what I saw was just a small sample size. But, you know, major league teams are always looking for catchers. And, you know, certainly he's still, you know, two, three years away at the very least. And I always had a scout tell me, if you're waiting for prospects, you're waiting to get fired. But, you know, certainly huh. this guy this guy's an intriguing guy. So um, certainly he, he would raise some eyes, eyebrows uh, among baseball if he was available. But, you know, once again, since the Cubs are in a – area of need in, in, in some places, um, the price goes up. 
Do you, do you agree with Jesse? I mean, I, I did. And uh, the Cubs are pretty well set in catching with guys like Contreras and Caratini right now. I mean, maybe a year ago you may, may have doubted Caratini, but what he's been able to do behind the plate and also with the bat uh, can switch hit. Uh, not a bad, you know, they, they seem pretty set a catcher for a couple years. Yeah, they do. Um, and I, I would go further. I think Caratini could be a full-time catcher for a lot of teams. Wow. I think that highly of them. I'm um, and the other thing to consider is, you know, Wilson plays hard, um, been terrific back there, especially for a conversion guy. Uh, but at what point do you say we want this guy to, to preserve his strength and maybe give him a few more days in the outfield, maybe left field? So that's that's another consideration too. Uh, but um, as of now, yeah, they're 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 well set, and Caratini's come a long way. I was one that thought they'd, they'd be enhanced by adding a veteran guy to play at AAA, but. I mean, Caratini has just not only been a solid uh, defensive guy and, and, and pitch caller, but he's come out with some big hits. Huge, huge hits. Well, yeah. when, I, when I was out in Hollywood back in the 30s, I coined, uh, let's cut to the chase. When we were doing these B-film westerns and, that, you know, let's cut to the chase. How do I get Whit Merrifield to bat leadoff, uh, play second base, center field, Miguel uh, Amaya, we're talking about, he could be a piece. How many pieces? How many pieces would you think, Mark, you'd have to set a package together to get a 30-year-old, uh, you know, top-flight second baseman, 30 years old, understand, and he's got two years still locked up at those, like, five and six million. Not huge. You know, maybe for the Royals, they're going to have a lot of money for us in the next couple of years. What would it take besides uh, Amaya, the catcher, to uh, get the interest of Kansas City for uh, my guy, Whit Merrifield? Well, if, if I'm the Cubs, they send back one of their 8,000 second basemen in that deal as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and probably a, yeah. and probably a, a Class A pitcher. I mean, they, they certainly have a, a deep reservoir of those pitching prospects down there. I know, I know Jesse says everybody has – has prospects down at A ball, and he's right. But mm-hmm. uh, and, and in this case, they have they certainly have a lot of guys down there who who fit that bill. I know they've they've juggled some of their guys, pushed some guys up. You know, Alex Lang struggled at Class A, but he's done very well at Double A. And and the kid that threw last night at Triple A, Tyson Miller, had a rough outing, but that shouldn't you know put an asterisk on what he's done this year. So um, there are some guys down there. Um, and you might want to see what else you can get back from the Royals if, if beside a Merrifield. Maybe mm. there's a lefty down there that, ah. that could help them. But, but, you know, this is all just speculation mm-hmm. sure. And, sure. And, and pie in the sky stuff yeah. right now. Yeah. Uh, speaking of pitchers, uh, this other guy, this guy's name keeps popping up every once in a while, Danny Hulson, uh, who originally was a real high draft pick, second overall pick by the Mariners in 2011. He's in the Cubs system now, I think pitching at, uh, at AAA. Uh, you think he's a guy we see actually sometime later this year? Very late. I think the big thing with, with Holson right now is he's got to show he can do it on, on back-to-back nights and that his shoulder holds up well. Okay. Uh, I think that's that's the big issue for him, but he's a fascinating story. And, you know, once you get to September, uh, boy, you can really manipulate that roster and, and, and pitch a lot of guys and rest them. But I think in the Cubs' uh, case, uh, and rightfully so, they want to see if he's able to pitch on back-to-back nights and have that shoulder hold up. He's okay. gone through a lot, but it's a fascinating story if he makes it. Mark, a few minutes ago you mentioned uh, in passing C.J. Edwards, uh, to paraphrase what he said, you know, could be coming back. Now, his 
down at Iowa, Fred, his ERA is 1.86 last I looked the other day. But he had a terrible first couple outings when he was first sent down and then came back up and went back down, Mark. So the 1.80 or whatever my handwriting is here, that includes the terrible ballooned up, ballooned up by ERA earlier. So it looks like he's been doing pretty well. Yeah, and I think the big thing for him and the Cubs is if he can get back to his dominance against left-handed hitters, you know, spotting that ball low inside corner against lefties, getting that, that sharp cutter below the wrist, um, that can go a long way because, you know, as of now, you know, Kyle Ryan's their only uh, left-handed specialist, and he, he, he was on a great run until recently, but um, you wonder about the appearances and whether they add up. He likes a lot of work, but you still need uh, another guy at this point. Mark, we'll leave you with this. Uh, as far as the Pirates, uh, you know, throwing a lot of pitches that came near the hitters uh, in Pittsburgh, and Fred pointed out, well, you know, everybody stands almost on the plate now. And uh, and I said, well, you know, hitters aren't used to the ball coming inside. But that being here nor there, there's an overall picture. And uh, a lot of fans nowadays, in fact, probably most fans go, oh, you know, don't throw at a guy, get him out. Okay, that's that's nice and easy and, you know, sounds beautiful and lovey-dovey. Uh, but no one talks about fellas when it's reversed. You know, what happens if they're throwing at my guy? Whether the Pirates were or not isn't even the point. What happens if a team's throwing at my guy? Uh, then you can't use that simple analogy, we'll just get him out. No, no, they're throwing at us eventually, if you don't, uh, the word retaliate upsets people. You know, it's a too upsetting of a word. So I won't use... Not PC. Right. Yeah. So I won't say retaliate, but Mark, you've been watching the game for a long time. If other teams are throwing and the word gets around, you know, buzz these guys, back them off, then then, then you throw them the curveball and they're out. Don't you eventually have to... Re- Oh, I can't say retaliate. B- push them back. Uh, I mean, you got to eventually, no? Move their feet. Yeah. It's simple. Move their feet. And, and, you know, Carl Edwards Jr., to his credit, stood up for Bryant Contreras in spring training, uh, uh, nailed the guy from the Mariners minor leagues because he just felt our guys, it's time's up. You know, our guys, guys have been hit. We're, not, we're, we're going to end this right now. And he got fined for it, but. It wasn't anything where it was a, where it was a beaning. It was just a good natural plucking, I believe, uh, well below the, the armpits, and that's been the, the old school way of, of taking care of business. I remember Todd Stottlemyre once in an exhibition game. He wanted to nail Barry Bonds, but he did it, you know, aim below the waist. And Bonds knew it was coming. He nodded his head. He knew it was coming. So. Um, Fair is fair. And then what about when uh, uh, people might say, and, you know, Bodie, he got beaned, his bases loaded, you know. But, you know, well, it was not intentional. After a while, it doesn't matter. Is that how you look at it? I mean, if they're hitting our guys, it doesn't matter if it's slipped or not. Don't let it slip because here's what's happening now. We can't help it. We got to. Absolutely. Yeah, that was scary. That was very scary. Yeah, was. I thought at some point it was going to yeah. really get uglier than it did. Did Was uh whether Joe was choreographed, orchestrated, I heard a lot of people say, well, you know what, he'd planned to run out there. And then Fred and I were saying, it, it doesn't matter what his uh, motive, motivation was. You know, he went out there. Does It, ma- it doesn't matter to me if it was choreographed or if it was uh, uh, impulse. You know what I mean? Right. And you've got to defend your players. I mean, enough's enough. 
I mean, I, I understand what the Pirates are doing. I mean, they've made no secret of this dating back to 2015. I wrote a story on it mm-hmm. back then. And that's fair. I understand pitching inside, but when you start getting around the head, uh, that, that's scary. Great job. Uh, I know it's a busy, busy weekend for you. Fans love hearing you. And your uh, podcast is always uh, uh, clicking. How do we, uh, how do we find you, uh, Mark, on, the po- on your podcast? Oh, it should be up there. Okay, uh, we we got to we got to freshen it up. You 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 <laughs> raised you raised the bar when you were on with us a few weeks ago. Well, that's because I was at the bar uh, when I called in. <laughs> Mark, thanks a million, and uh, always the uh, fans love hearing from you. As do we. Thank you. Yeah, enjoy the Thank weekend, you Mark. <laughs> you too. Take care, guys. See ya. Don Gonzo. Yeah, this is uh, he's good. I, it's he's always good. I can't believe I got to leave here at noon and oh. then wait six hours for a game. Come on. I want to see it earlier. Remember my proposal, day-night doubleheader today? Yeah. Well, way, don't play the two uh, a month ago at uh, Wrigley yeah. Field. Play a day-night today at uh, Cubs or Sox, and then a straight double bubble tomorrow at the other park. I know I heard uh, on the odds couple, which yeah. is on before us, uh, uh-huh. I heard North and uh, Carmen talking about it. They didn't understand it. And you and I have talked about it. We didn't understand it. Yeah. Brooks Boyer was on uh, yesterday with uh, Carmen and Yurko mm-hmm. and explained that they asked for the Saturday-Sunday game because originally when the schedule was coming out, they were going to play this two-game series on either a Monday, Tuesday, or a Wednesday, Thursday. Oh, that's no good. And they said, no, 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 we want it. Nah. We, this is a big series in our town. We'd rather play it on a Saturday-Sunday. Right. So they did it this way, and that's why they had Friday off. So ultimately, it was the White Sox who requested it this way. See, that does make sense because, like we mentioned two hours ago, miss a little, miss a little. Because well, the Cubs and yeah. Sox was a Tuesday-Wednesday. Well, it's the rivalry series. Yeah. You only play two and two. Mets and Yankees, Oakland A's, Giants, and every third Royals year, and whoever. Cardinals. Oh, yes, Royals, Cardinals. Yeah, the I-70. Uh, yeah. Some teams have no... Na- I think like the... The Twins? Or the National... The uh, Twins played a... Uh, yeah, I don't know who they're play? playing. Yeah, Ro- we have Rockies. To, I think it's the it Rockies. It might be Twins and Rockies, yeah. Yeah, that's a big rivalry. We got to get back to the, 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 the. But wait, Kansas City's playing the man. Oh no, that, they're not. Reg- they're not doing it all at the same that's, time. That's regular interleague. Right, they're not doing it all at the same time no, anyway. Okay, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Murph and Fred, oh, lots to cover in the final half hour. We so have, have some uh, poll questions to get to. Yeah, too, we're going to do some Twitter. Oh, we got to add some good ones and the answers, your uh, responses, quite amazing. All that and much, much more. It's uh, it's ESPN one thousand. Busy day here for another half hour. Hope you're out and about, running your errands, working at home, enjoying your day, and hopefully enjoying a little bit of us. Saturdays at 9 till noon. I'll be back tomorrow from 10 till uh, 12. Black and Abdallah from 8 until uh, 10. They'll talk all kinds of basketball tomorrow. We talked a little bit about basketball earlier today because of the big news. Yeah. Yeah. Miss a little, miss a lot. We did that. The big news: the Bulls a twenty point win in the uh, summer league. <laughs> yeah, we buried the lead. We talked about some some big uh, L.A. Clippers. Uh, yeah, some guy named Kawhi. Uh huh. 
And all of a sudden, we yeah. said, no. Kawhi going to the Clippers, the I guess. Bulls yeah. won by 20 points. That's right. Oh, we missed a big uh, Daniel summer Gafford. league. Yep. <laughs> oh, Gordy Wittenmeyer, our buddy over at the Sun-Times, he had a little note on something we touched on a little earlier. Here it's almost more definitive. He writes, when the last place Reds beat the first place Brewers on Thursday. Right. It not only gave the Cubs a share of first place in the National League Central, but, and here's the payoff, it meant the five teams in the National League Central Division were separated by only three and a half games. Yep. You touched on this, but here, it was the tightest, tightest that the division has been clumped together this late in the 26-year history of the uh, divisional format okay. type thing. Okay. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it is. 26 years, it's never been this tight like it is right now with the Reds and the Pirates and the Brewers and the Cardinals and the Cubs. This morning, the Brewers a half game in first place. Cubs half game back in second. And what, did, and what did Jesse say? 45 of the next 72. 45 yeah. of the 72 remaining are uh, against the division. Against the division. After the All-Star break, because you got two more against the White Sox, and that'll make 90 for the Cubs. A buddy of mine uh, yesterday was telling me, and I didn't see it to verify, but I believe it uh, to be. The Cubs have the easiest National League schedule the rest of the way, meaning they take the records. It really means nothing, right. but it means you take the wins and loss record, the win and loss record today of every team the rest of the way on the schedule. Sure. You know, add them together and whatever. And uh, the Cubs will be playing overall, composite, teams with fewer wins and more losses than any other team in the National League. One of the reasons is they have no more games we had to figure it out on the fall. How does that work? They have no games left with the Dodgers. Right. And they have no games left with the Atlanta Braves. Sure. Which right there is 3-6-9-12 games that other teams like the Brewers or the Cardinals may still have, you know, we're not going to break it down and pull all the schedules out, but it's still an interesting and uh, hopefully beneficial fact. Yeah, I know they played like the Oakland A's coming out right, and well, that's they tough. some other stuff. Yeah, oh, the no, A's are tough. They can swing oh, yeah. the bats. They're not out of the nah. woods yet. No. Nah. No, not at all. We just I just had a guy get to me on Twitter, uh, Cubs fan and a bunch of numbers. Did he, he get says, to the business? No, he oh, says, okay. Schwarber has dropped three balls with Lester pitching this year. May 7th, <laughs> May 12th, and June 30th. He also dropped one with Lester pitching on August 6th of 2017. And those are the only ones I remember. He better be DH in tonight. Well, what was that Rule 51 we heard about? Yeah. When, yeah. when uniform number 51, the big unit, Randy Johnson would be pitching. He determined who was going to be on the defense, who's playing yeah. where to the manager. Yeah, if I'm John Lester and I, I get out to the mound and I look out to left field, <laughs> I would rather not see Kyle Schwarber. I wonder if that would be Rule 34. <laughs> I think it might be. Yeah. Oh, man. So Lester versus Giolito tonight. And, and Giolito's got something to prove, too, because he faced the Cubs early, gave up the four runs in the first inning of the Grand Slam to Contreras. Yes, he did. And, you know, he stuck around for a little while. He gave up six runs total mm-hmm. in that game. Uh, seven hits. He struck out nine. Give up three homers in that game. He's only given up nine all year, Giolito. So three of them came in the one game. His last outing, five innings, a hit, no runs, no walks, and four strikeouts in another mm-hmm. rain-shortened game. I don't think anybody's pitched in as many rain-shortened games as Lucas Giolito. This one was against the Twins, a good-hitting team. Yeah, the uh, two games were on, uh, as you mentioned, for June 17, June 18. The first game, both those at Wrigley Field. Of course, Sox won uh, game one behind Nova, who's uh, pitching uh, game two. Right. Sox won 3-1. to one. I had to refresh myself and look it up. 
Oh, was, why? Did you really? Well, yeah, Your not, punishment. Right away. It was one-to-one yeah. going into the uh, ninth inning. Uh, Strope, Stroper, Stropey comes in and uh, issues a, uh, well, you remember, a two-run homer. Yeah, to Eloy. Eloy. The, the problem is, and people will forget this, and I know uh-huh. that he had a great game the other day, and I know we talk well about Chris Bryant, and he had an MVP award and everything else like that, but in the bottom of the eighth inning of that mm-hmm. game, with a 1-1 score, he hits a ball up in the air to left center field, puts his head down, drops the bat, doesn't run, and the ball falls in. He should have been on second base. Um, Pat Hughes said it. Jim Deshaies said it. Len Casper said it. He wasn't there. Next play with one out, ground ball to third because they had the shift on mm-hmm. by Rizzo, and you turn the 5-6-3 double play. The inning's over where if he's at second base, maybe that changes, and uh, all of a sudden you got Eloy hitting the home run in the ninth inning to win it for the White Sox. So, you know, they've had some bad base running. Not so much in that, um, I was going to say, that not so much in the Pittsburgh series, but they had other bad things happening in the Pittsburgh series. Hey, Felix. Felix, you're Felix the Cat. You're a big Cub fan. Fred's our Sox fan here. You know what I'm hoping? Felix, tell me if this is sort of, I don't know if it's mean-spirited or goofy. Of course, I, you know, I hope the Cubs win two games, you know. But I hope Eloy hits about five home runs over the weekend. I don't know why I feel that way. I don't hope that. Yeah. I don't want that. As a Cubs fan, it's... I said the Cubs are going to win both games. I mean... I hope you like it's five overs. I still don't want to see that, though. Even Why if that? we win. No, it's painful to watch. Well, I know that. We already have to worry about, you know, that... that What was it? The game that happened a few weeks ago when Eloy hit that big right. shot. I had called it. I, we were working Jonathan's show that night. Yeah. And I had called it right before. I'm like, I don't like this spot for Eloy. And then, sure enough, he hits a bomb. I don't want to see that as a Cubs fan. It hurts. I want everyone to remember forever that Theo and Jed had to tra- had to trade to get Quintana, and they gave away Rick Sutcliffe. We've played the clip twice. We won't play it again. Yesterday on this radio station said the it factor. I saw Dylan Cease down at spring training with the Cubs. It wouldn't even be, be like the it would be like down the street, right. you know, with a rookie. Not even at the real uh, camp. He says he had the thing, he had it. You know, three, four, five guys only I've ever seen with yep. the it. And Eloy, Eloy, everyone knew from day one. I mean, they were to, to, to draft Dylan Cease in the fifth round when he was, everyone thought he was going to be, uh, he was going to go to uh, college. He'd coming off some injury. You know, and they, they got him in the fifth round. It was unbelievable. And Eloy, known as international signing, you go beat the bushes in other countries and you sign a 16 year old kid. But there's a thing that they always say, I always say, if you ask people the uh, you know wrong questions, you don't have to worry. They don't have to worry about what the answer is. So everyone always says, oh, the agenda, what happened? Well, you know what? Uh, we, had to, we had to get Quintana and then the uh, blah, yada, yada, college. But then the follow-up would always should be, well, why did you need Quintana? No one ever says, well, why did you need Quintana? Well, because we failed miserably, Jason McLeod, our director of scouting and development, we couldn't develop a pitcher. Right. To didn't have any developed. So we had to trade these two guys because the real answer is because we didn't have anybody. Felix, uh, if you could pull up that cut eight. This was uh, this was maybe about a month ago, mid June. Uh, Jed Hoyer, and he's uh, you know. 
Hey, God love him. He's given a company answer, which is correct. Well, we, we really, we had no choice. We had to make the deal. But why did you have to make the deal? Because you didn't have anything coming through the pipeline. When you're in a winning cycle, you're going to make moves um, that put the present uh, above the future. That, that's the nature of it. And, you know, when you kind of look around the league and look at different, um, you know, teams that have been competing for, you know, four or five years in a row, you know, you can name a, a really good player on another team that was one that was, uh, you know, traded in a big trade. You know, there's no question. And, um, you know, the White Sox have had them and they'll, they'll have they'll have more in the future because they're going to be good. They're going to have to go the other direction. And it's painful because, you, you know, you, you draft or sign these kids, you you get to know them, you raise them and you know you're trading away a good player. Um, but, you know, listen, when you have a window to win, uh, you got to try to win. And like, they don't come around that often. You know, you, you've got a chance to to go deep in the playoffs and win a World Series, you have to take advantage of that because you, know, you never know what that next year, you know, is going to bring. Um, you know, things happen, and when you have a chance to do it, uh, sometimes you have to, uh, like I said, you, you make a move that, that, that trades a really good future piece like Eloy Jimenez. He's 100% correct. Everything he says there is correct. You got the window. You go for it. I can't dispute anything. The problem is... Why did you have to do this? Because you didn't have a pitcher in six, five, six years at the time that you had found, developed, drafted, international signing. Now they finally got, you know, Alzalai. With a T now they pronounce, right, yeah. Fred? Edbert Alzalai. Edbert, Edbert. Yeah. You know, the T's are tricky because remember when the White Sox, uh, we first heard about Louis uh, Robert? Yeah. It was Louis Robert. That's what people were saying. And then we found out that, well, that's not true. It's the, you pronounce the T's, Louis yeah. Robert. Yep. And then the same thing here with uh, Al... Alzali. And what's his first? Albert. Ad, Adbert. Adbert. Yeah. A-D-B-E-R-T. Yeah. Like, the, like an adburst, you know, the old uh, advertising phrase. But the T is uh, pronounced. So anyway... Yep. You know... Len Casper told me that. I texted him, or tweeted him. He got right back to me. He's always willing to pay, also, yep. probably. Mm-hmm. Jesse has the new lineup. We covered that. We, oh, s- we still got to find out how many games people want uh, the Saxon Cubs oh. to play against each other. Thank you. Let's go to the Twitter poll results. Let's bring in uh, Felix Cat. Felix, we got so many good poll questions going, and we've only paid off a few of them. Uh, Cubs, Sox, Crosstown Classic. All right. How many games would you like the Cubs and Sox to play each year? And uh, the four uh, possible uh, answers we gave you were, uh, I'd like to see 19. Why 19? Oh, that's what you play in your own division. You play the the Cardinals and you play the Pirates and Sox, play the Twins, they play the Royals. Everybody's 19. Or six. Six sounds about right. You know, three here, three there, like you do every third year when it's uh, you're playing in the same division in the uh, interleague. Or four, I like it the way it is right now. Two uh-huh. there, two here. Or zero. You know what? I don't like it. I want to wait for the World Series to happen. I never liked playing the other leagues. So those are the four options. Fred, uh, did you vote yet? I, had to, I couldn't because I had to split my vote. That could be painful. Oh. Because I would vote either 19 or zero. <laughs> I don't want to see the Sox and Cubs play each other, period, unless they're in the same division. So unless they redo the the divisions when they add two more teams in a couple of years, and the Sox and the Cubs and the Tigers and the Twins and the Cardinals 
are all and the Brewers are all in the same division, then playing each other nineteen times is fine. But otherwise, I'd rather they didn't play each other at all. I would get zero. I love it. I would completely get rid of interleague play, and the only time you would play the other league is at the World Series. Felix is our Twitter. I like Fred's angle. Is our Twitter poll system set up? I know we can only offer four, uh, but can someone split a half a vote, half a vote? No, they can't. Get on that with Bristol, would you? Yeah, can't do it. (laughs) And you can't vote twice. Once you vote on Twitter, you can't vote again. Lock them out. Yeah. So, I, I sort the way of like, it should be. I like the four. I don't like the six and 19. I think the zero is a little radical low. I, that's I'm me. I'm, I'm a radical. Four. I'm happy with the four. You know what? I don't think the 19. I think the 19 would, would lose its luster. Uh, maybe both teams in front. It'd be either too nerve wracking or it would lose its luster. I don't. I, I'd like I it think it'd be too nerve wracking. But that, if you're going to yeah. do it, then it, may, then it makes it. <laughs> you know, then it's a it's it's a great rivalry at that point. Felix, what'd you vote? I would vote six. I like the way it was before. Right. I like three and three. So the three of us voted for all four. Yeah. But not, none the same. Right. Pretty much, yeah. Fred said zero or 19. I said I like the four, and you like the six? That is correct. All right. Next was, uh... oh, will the Cubs and Sox meet in a World Series? No, not in your lifetime. In the next five <laughs> in years. In anyone's lifetime. Yeah. No. In the next five years. That would have been too easy. Too easy. Well, the Cubs and Sox, the Cubs right now, you know, that window's still open. Two more years before Theo leaves. Uh, uh, the White Sox, they're starting to trend up and looking good for the rebuild. Uh, so let's put a uh, five-year. Now, I know it's a long shot, but things happen. Will so not could or might. Will the Cubs and Sox meet in the World Series in the next five years? I'm voting yes, just because I have that feeling. Okay. What the fans say? 99% no? 83% say no. All right. Yeah, I don't think they will either. So, I mean, it's a tremendous long shot, but why not? It used to be uh, dreamed as the Subway Series in the old days. You say, but with a Subway Series... I heard someone the other day say, L-Train Series. No, no, no. Subway Series. Murph and Fred back in a flash. Going to wrap up our Crosstown Classic Talk. When we return, CSPN 1000. Ready for the cross town classic? Oh, everybody is. Murph and Fred on the uh, on the home stretch. Uh, Cubs the uh, four best trades of all time. Uh huh. Ryan Sandberg trade. The uh, Dallas Green got Rhino. John Holland got Fergie Jenkins in a trade, and two of the top four by Theo. He got Rizzo in a trade, and the Arietta Strope trade. Four worst Cubs trades of all time. John Holland again, but this time he traded Lou Brock. Uh, Joe Carter, this time Dallas Green, traded for Rick Sutcliffe. Carter was great. And two more. DJ LeMayu gone and uh, Eloy. There's two more for uh, Theo on the opposite side. Hey, Frank Thomas, big hurt going at it with Cap. Are the White Sox still going for wild card Cap wonders? I don't think this is a good enough team, especially with Timmy Anderson down for four to six. I just look at this team and go, you know what? Let's have a really solid year. 
Let's build off of this, and in the off season, I'll see what Whoa, deals present Kathy, myself. You can never think like that as a player. You can never think like that. You can't take baseball for granted. You know, you got a situation, and you're 500 at the break, and no one saw you coming, and your offense is getting better and better, and you watch Elo. He's got 15 home runs already. He basically played a month and a half in the first half. I mean, that's the type of explosive team they have coming up. If you got pitching that can hold you in ball games, this team's going to explode the second half. I'm telling you, the wild card is wide open still. Wow, good stuff, Fred. Yeah, it may be wide open, but he said as a player. <laughs> yeah, big yeah. difference as a player yeah. and as management and everything else. You don't want to give up any of these young guys just to try to win a wild card in one game. And I hate the wild card since they added the second one and it's one and right. done for TV. Terrible. It's that's terrible. You can't bank on the one and done. Nope. We'll get back to that next Saturday. It's uh, uh, guests today. We want to thank Jesse Rogers, uh, James Feagan over there at The Athletic. Uh, Sox guy and Mark Gonzalez. He checked in from the Tribune. Thanks to Felix Reyes for all of his help. Black yeah. and Abdallah tomorrow morning at 8. I'll be here at 10. And uh, we'll have lots to talk about with the Sox and the Cubs. Crosstown Classic. Mark from Fred saying thanks for listening. Thanks for calling. And see you later, everybody.